just looking for now, Frankenstein? I know I'd go from rags to riches. Why, a four-year-old child could understand this report. Run out and find me a four-year-old child. I can't make head or tail out of it. Baravelli, you've got the brain of a four-year-old boy, and I bet he was glad to get rid of it. Are we on the air? Yes. <laughs> All right. Yay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Your List Sucks uh, Top 100 series. Hopefully, it'll happen again. It's going to be a really long night. My name is Kirk Olkowski. I am your guide to this journey of mostly terrible movies that these people have chosen as their top 100. Uh, tonight, we're going to... Today we're going to be getting through uh, the 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 end of the bottom half of our list, the fifties, the nifty fifties, as it were. Scott, last week you had a pretty dominant win. Do we have any chance of things being that good ever again? Uh, probably not quite that good. Like I said last week, I think that was the week I was like, yeah, I, I pretty much got this one in the back. I do think I have another good week tonight. Um, I think after this is where it will start to uh, to even out a little bit uh, because it's weirdly like my very favorite movies are the ones that Kirk has strong feelings about um, and not of the good variety. But I think I think I'm safe tonight, but we'll see. All right. We'll see what happens. Uh, Spence came in second again last week. Uh, you're, you're, you're hanging in there. You're hanging. Oh, Rue, was it Rue? I came in last last week. I'm pretty was sure. Was it? Was it? I don't know. I I don't remember week to week. It's all blur. It's all blur. Rue, you came in second last week, and that was yes. your highest finish so far. You're working your way up. How you feel about this week? You gonna you gonna get over the hump? You gonna take first this week? Um, maybe. Um, one half my attention is on the fact that I can't watch the Knicks live right now. Um, so I'm kind of there. But second, um, I will tell you from here on out, I objectively think that the rest of my movies are actually like fairly, fairly good. This is the one this, this week I say is the best objectively, I think in your opinion of, of all mine and the week is going forward. Maybe only one or two movies. You may disagree with me this week. So I'm feeling good from here on out. All right. Spence, just tell me where you finished last week. Was it? I think I finished last because okay. I said some mean things about Goodfellas. That's true. As 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 you deserve to finish when you say bad things about Goodfellas. How you felt about it this week? <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> I, say, I, I wore my nice pretentious professor's jacket because I think I might win this week, uh, which means I'm going to get last again. But the confidence is there. We'll see. And finally, Jake. Um, it's been interesting so far. Uh, <laughs> what's this week? How's this week going to pan out for us? Uh, I'm really, uh, this is like my weirdest week, probably. I'm hoping that uh, Spence and Rue shit to bed somehow. That's my best. You won't bet. get last. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very strongly, so I don't know. I've been coasting on everyone else's failures this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, right. by default, most weeks. Two greatest words in the English language, default. Uh, well, let's take a Scott. We're gonna we're gonna start out with our uh, bottom three for everybody. Again, we're still on regular uh, your list sucks rules, so uh, just shoot me for this beginning part. Uh, Scott, give me your sixty through fifty-eight. Okay, uh, my number sixty is the Alexander Payne film Nebraska. 
Uh, my 59, The Fugitive. And my 58 is It Follows. All right, you can talk about all three movies. I don't think that's happened yet. I know. I've got had a lot of yikes in mind. But uh, Nebraska is my number 60. Uh, this is just like one of the most underrated movies of the 2010s for me. Um, I think this movie was marketed pretty poorly, honestly. Uh, the trailers kind of made it look like um, oh, here's this depressing old black and white movie about an old guy who, you know, is losing his marbles. Um, and honestly, that couldn't be further from the, the truth. I mean, I, you know, of course, the movie does reckon with old age and what comes with that and is melancholic at times. But it's also very funny, like very funny. Um, the stuff with with Bruce Dern's family, uh, just like the way that all those characters are portrayed and the way that all the men are like sitting around the TV and just like don't say anything to each other. Or they're yelling across the room like you still got that truck. What? Yeah, it hilarious conversations. Um, and then June Squibb as like the, the the mother character has, you know, that one amazing scene where she's in the cemetery um and it's just like roasting all of the dead people um it, it's very funny um and honestly it has a good it has a good heart as well at the very end like it leaves you on a surprising like about as uplifting of a note i think as a movie like this could end on um so i think uh it's again it's very underrated it's probably not the movie that you expect it to be it's a lot more of a road movie um than anything else and all the performances are really good like i think um will forte and bob odenkirk who play the sons and obviously are more primarily comedic actors um, show that they can really um, bring some dramatic chops. So highly recommend uh, Nebraska. My 59, The Fugitive. Um, yeah, just a classic action movie. Um, again, another one of the 90s classics that are tend to be my like my favorite era of action movie. Um, great cat and mouse game. It's another one of those um, like Crimson Tide where both guys are kind of you know, uh, you don't, neither one is like totally right or totally wrong. I mean, I guess Harrison Ford is fighting for justice the whole time. But the point is, Tommy Lee Jones isn't set up as like the villain or anything. Like he's also trying to get justice. It's just, um, you know, he has the wrong idea about who the, the killer um, actually was. And when he, you know, when it's revealed that it's not Harrison Ford, you know, they're fighting alongside each other. So it's a, it's a great cat and mouse, mouse game where you kind of like both characters. Um, and obviously, you know, Harrison Ford had brings that like intensity to it that I didn't kill my wife. And then, um, you know, Tommy Lee Jones is hamming it up in a way, but in a, in a very effective way with, uh, I don't care. I mean, that like famous scene is just kind of like very indicative of the way that both of their performances and characters are in the movie and why the dynamic really works. The set pieces hold up really well, like the bus crash at the beginning of the movie when I mean, that's some of the still some of like the best practical effects that you'll see um, in, you know, in, a, in an action movie. So um, that in particular holds up really well. The St. Patrick's Day Parade. Um, it's just an exciting action movie. Um, with two, you know, very well cast leads in it. So The Fugitive is great. And then my 58, It Follows. Um, one of my favorite horror movies, one of my favorite theater experiences I had was like going to watch this movie with not really knowing that much about it, not even being a huge horror fan at the time. And just like being blown away, not not just by the, like I think the style of the film is so um, absorbing. Like, um, David Robert Mitchell is become one of my favorite directors between this and 
um, under the Silver Lake, his last movie, um, and his work with Mike Jalakis, who's the cinematographer, like their widescreen cinematography, like it's beautiful to look at. And you don't really think about calling many horror movies beautiful, but like that's honestly how I would describe like the visual landscape and how lush it is of this movie. Yes, the music is amazing by um, Disaster Piece, like the synth heavy John Carpenter y type score. Um, and I just love like the premise of the movie is really interesting because it keeps you on edge the whole time, like scanning the screen, like, oh, is this person the one, you know, following them? Um, it's an interesting concept. There's a lot of um, nuance to it, I think, to, to unpack as well. You know, when it came out, everyone was like, oh, this is an STD allegory, which is an oversimplification of what it's actually about. It's much more of like, I think it's about like the looming specter of coming of age, right, the, for these characters who are. Um, on the brink of coming of age. Um, so I I love this movie. I just rewatched it this week, um, kind of in preparation for this, and it still really holds up. Um, I think it's one of the best horror movies of the 2010s for sure, and kind of almost in a way ushered in this era of like elevated horror um, that we've seen in the last few years um, really come to the forefront. So I love It Follows. All right. Um, okay, started out with Nebraska. Yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. I watched this, I think, because of Spence. I think I was prepping for a match against Spence. I, I, I watched this. And um, I really enjoyed this. I really, really liked this. This is my kind of movie. I think Will Forte is really good in it. And I was surprised by him because, you know, he's famous for kind of being a clown and for him to take on this role that's not necessarily super dramatic, but is it just a straight comedy role? Um, he played that that really well just with like kind of like the the innocence and like that that like that vulnerability with his father and then like the, the relationship with his extended family and i love those scenes like the scenes where his cousins just keep laughing at him because of how long it took him to drive because yeah <laughs> they said they would have made it like eight like they would have driven like 200 miles an hour or whatever I, those characters are so great all those side characters um and it just it, it kind of it, it just feels like a really lived in world like these this family really looks like a feels like a family. You know the places they go, the bar and the house feel like real places, and it looks great. That it has really great black and white cinematography, and you know, curmudgeonly Bruce Dern is is great. Um, so yeah, that's a really solid movie. Uh, the Fugitive, I call this an Amaru pick. I'm surprised it didn't get yikes. This is a very Amaru <laughs> yeah. pick. This is a, this is a Sunday afternoon cable pick. Um, but yeah, this is um, it's a real solid movie, and yeah, I, that's my favorite part of it, is the the relationship between two, two characters. And I love a character like what Tommy Lee Jones is doing here, where it's like he just has a job. Like his job isn't to like get to the bottom of things or like to figure things out. His job is you were found guilty, you're guilty, you're a prisoner, I take you back. And that's all I care about. If anything else is going on, that's not my concern. And I mm -hmm. just love that, like, kind of like zeroed in, hone and focus him. Um, yeah, it gives really for great performance there. And uh, I'm also a big It Follows fan. Uh, I love the tone and the like the timeless feel of this movie. I love how it has like that fall. It, 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 it homages a lot of movies like Halloween and stuff, but it has that like that otherworldly feel to it. Um, and I love the monster. I just love how the monster is like it's, it's just a regular person. You know, it's, it's you know it's nothing inherently terrifying about it, but just that like that like const it's constantly coming at you. Uh, and that's that scene where um, they're in the bedroom. That real tall guy comes out. Is one oh, of yeah. like this, one, of the, one of the scariest shots, you know, single shots. It's like it's not really a jump scare, um, but it has that effect. It's it's a it's a really solid shot. So yeah, uh, three really good picks to start us off, and uh, now we're gonna go over to Spence uh, for your sixty through fifty-eight. We'll see if I actually talk for these. Uh, my sixty is Blade Runner twenty forty-nine. Yikes! There Future it is. Episode. 
Number, number 59 is Little Shop of Horrors. There. My 58 is Mean Girls. I had it earlier. Oh, I keep forgetting. Oh, yep. So, you guys don't like musicals, right? Little, little, little known secret. Oh, this is a fucking banger of a film. This might actually, other than Disney, this might have been the first musical I ever watched. Because it's just growing up around a lot of theater people, just like, oh, hey, this is a great movie. And it has this really, it has, it balances horror and comedy really well. On top of that, I think it, it has, it has the impossible task of making maybe one of the most annoying singing, singing voices put to film really engaging. Uh, I keep forget I, I forget uh, the lead, the lead girl's name, but she is incredible. Even though she has like the like a very nasally whiny voice, and I think that I think that the fact they made that work is great. Steve Martin is incredible. Uh, Levi Stubbs as Audrey too is a highlight. Everyone's favorite thing about the film is always talking about how they needed to speed up the footage footage when Rick Moranis was performing opposite Audrey too, because they needed to do the puppet in. Empires. Uh, it's just a great film. Great musical, great everything about it. Uh, Bill Murray, great cameo. 58, Mean Girls. <laughs> Y'all know Mean Girls. Uh, one of the best coming of age films ever. It's real funny. Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> uh, Jake, a big fan of it, of course. <laughs> I, the fact that we can celebrate it every year, I think, really means a lot to like a, a film's iconic legacy. We always have to taste it aside. I know Scott watched it then. I'm, glad, I'm jealous I didn't join him for it. Like, it's just... And beyond, it's also a musical about it. Like, everything about this film is huge, and it's fun, and it's funny. And if you don't like it, what's wrong with it? Uh, yeah, I had this in my 70s, I think. Um, I mean, yeah, it's like, it's iconic for a reason. Like, not a scene goes by without a line being uttered that you hear, like, in our cultural lexicon like every now and then. i mean maybe again maybe it's just a generational thing maybe this is like perfect for um my generation it's just one of those movies like the john hughes movies or something were in the 80s or like clueless was in the 90s but um you know this uh, the movie i think is still really hilarious to this day um all the supporting characters uh, i mean rachel mcadams like one of the great movie villains and just shows uh, you know what how versatile she is as as an actress because you know she isn't playing those types of roles really anymore but um man she just like immediately from the first time she comes on screen she's like instantly memorable tim meadows is hilarious as the the principal when he's walking through the hallway like i did not leave the south side for this that's one of my favorite lines um and yeah even though it's exaggerated like everything about the movie is exaggerated like the the portrayal of like high school social dynamics is still kind of pretty accurate like the walking through the lunchroom that whole stuff like is great and just the way that like the popular girls the mean girls are like so repulsive in their own way but also everyone still wants to be them and like you can't explain it but like that's just the way it is and that's kind of how it is in high school so i think it gets that right i also think it has a lot of affection for its characters um even even you know like karen for example the amanda seifert character it she gets some moments to be like hey this is a person here this isn't just a pantomime villain so mean girls is a classic all right come back to that one uh blade runner got yikes uh little shop we talked about this on the uh, remakes episode uh right before the top 100 started 
Uh, I really like this movie. This movie's grown on me. Um, I said there that I hadn't seen it in a while. Um, I watched it because my, my kids had never seen it, and I showed it to them, and I, they, they enjoyed it, and it kind of gave me the appreciation for it. I just love everything about Little Shop of Horrors. Um, I love the fact – I love the original – um, Roger Corman made it over a weekend on a dare because someone said he couldn't, so he just used the, sh- the sets from his last movie and shot this in 48 hours. And um, then the, you know they took that movie and made it into a like this off-Broadway musical, and that became this movie. Um, so I just love the whole legacy of the thing. Um, but yeah, it's great. The music's great. The performance is great. The puppet is amazing. Um, the fact that they got that puppet to do that, I mean, you, know, you can tell this was Frank Oz directed because he knew what to do with the puppets. Um, the fact that I watch this, I'm like, oh, that's definitely stop motion. Then I, I researched it and I saw like, no, that was all happening live. And they just did some, you know, in-camera tricks. Um, but it's it's amazing. Um, yeah, this, this movie's a lot of fun. And uh, Mean Girls, believe it or not, a lot of people will be surprised. I like Mean Girls. I, I, I really enjoy this movie, especially for this type of movie. I think it's like just like the, 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 the apex of like high school comedies. Because like unlike so many high school comedies, this just gets the tone so perfect. Like it takes it serious enough, uh, but it, at the same time, it knows what's going on. Um, you know, it's it, it ultimately it's like this is high school and it doesn't really matter. But to these people, it does. And it just it's a, I think to, the fact that it's a Tina Fey script is really what helps and the adult cast is so great it's tina fey amy poehler tim meadows of course tim meadows being the best thing about anything he's in the guy's great um but yeah uh this this is a really solid movie i, I really enjoy that one so yeah three good picks from spence uh rook you keep it going i hope so um my number 60 is quintessential amaru pick uh 1994's maverick my <laughs> my 59 uh, is Mission Impossible. And my 58 is The Matrix. Uh, yikes for a future episode. All right. Um, I love talking about Maverick. It's it's just, again, as you've seen in my picks, this is just a fun-ass time. Uh, before we learned that that guy is a complete asshole, um, he is very charming in this film. But more importantly, the cast as a whole is just one you ride along with because it's it's Jodie Foster trying to outsmart James Garner, trying to outsmart that guy. You got a great Alfred Molina uh, uh, villain in there. Uh, James Coburn running running the show when he runs the, the poker tournament. And I just I, it's one of my favorite end of a movie poker tournaments. Um, again, just fun to watch, exciting. Um, a lot of the things leading up to it uh, are really funny. Um, as somewhat dated as it is, um, the scene where he's talking to the Native Americans uh, is is still kind of funny, even though it's a little dated. Uh, but I loved every part of it growing up. I still love it watching it now. Um, and again, just Maverick, quintessential fun-ass movie to watch that uh, I love the actors and the ensemble cast in the film. Uh, and then Matrix Scott, yeah, so 50, 59, I'm good. Mission Impossible. Uh, I think Mission Impossible is one of the most underrated films ever because a lot of people enjoy it, but this film has influenced so much after it. It has one of the, it is, has one of the most iconic scenes to have ever been put on film ever. Um, and it kicked off probably one of the greatest franchises that, uh, are around, especially an action franchise. Um, but, uh, everybody is killing it. Uh, Cruz is killing it. Vin Rames is killing it. Don uh, Renault is great. Um, and just you're with them every second. 
um, and basically putting the American spin on on the on James Bond um, with all the gadgets, with all the different characters, with great action set pieces. I think people overlook this film because of how much larger and how much grander um, all of the other movies are after this. And uh, I think people forget about this one, about how influential it was and how just great of a movie and how greatly paced and how greatly acted this movie is. Um, and yeah, I, I, I love this movie to death. It's, it's definitely top half Mission Impossible for me. All right. Um, Maverick. I saw Maverick when it came out. Uh, I remember it was fun. I don't remember much about it other than that. Um, and like you said, it's, 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 it's an Abaru pick. It's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a comfort movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember, yeah, I remember like, uh, it was just cool seeing like James Garner, uh, and, uh, Mel Gibson together. They, they were pretty good. Like the three of them, I remember had some pretty solid chemistry. So that's, that's, that's my one, uh, big takeaway from that movie. Uh, first mission impossible. I hadn't seen this since it came out. Um, and I, I know we're talking 25 years ago. I remember not liking it. Uh, I, I, didn't like it to the point where I didn't go back to the franchise for a long time. I think uh, Rogue Nation was the first one I actually watched after this. And I only watched that because me and my friend were supposed to go see a different movie. We got the times wrong. And this is the only thing we could, that was the only thing we could have seen. So I've gone back and I've watched other movies um, in the series. So I went back and watched this and I really, I had a much greater appreciation for it. And it's very weird to see like watching all the, the, subsequent movies more recently how much of a De Palma movie this is which is mm -hmm. which is crazy just you go to like from those the big action movies of the of the of, later in the franchise this one is such like a slow burn De Palma movie and uh it's it's really good it's it, I, I really enjoyed it just that take on it like it's and I've heard you talk about this too Scott where it's much more of a spy movie than anything else in the franchise to come yeah. um the and it's a, it's like I said it's like it's a slower burn, um, just really figuring things out, you know, and, and just watching Tom Cruise try to like work his way through this world um, is a lot of fun. The supporting cast is good, um, so I'm glad I got to rewatch this. Finally, I've been meaning to for a long time. Finally got to, and um, yeah, I definitely have a much greater appreciation for this movie now. Uh, so that takes us to Jake and Jake sixty through fifty eight. Sixty Ratatouille. Ratatouille. <laughs> uh, 59, Synecdoche, New York. 58, Marie Antoinette. Okay. <laughs> so Ratatouille. Uh, this is a, a special movie to uh, my wife and I. Uh, she actually has like a, uh, a very like surprisingly like I, I tell you she has a tattoo of Ratatouille and it sounds like she has like the character there but it's like this almost photorealistic uh, rat with these spices and a little wooden spoon and it's fucking adorable uh I can't get enough of Ratatouille um so I talked last time a little bit about how uh Brad Bird got like unceremoniously fired from Disney and it's really interesting because right as Disney was acquiring Pixar was when Ratatouille was being made. And this is a movie all about uh, this um, rat chef, this lowly chef who uh, comes into this old establishment that used to be great and he makes it great again. And that's actually exactly what was happening 
as Pixar was uh, gig like uh, working within Disney all of a sudden. So I think that's really uh, interesting about this movie. Uh, at number 59, I have Synecdoche, New York. Uh, very divisive. No, God, please, no, no, no! <laughs> I can see, yeah, I, I was expecting someone here to hate it. Uh, <laughs> Synecdoche, New York, uh, this movie, uh, I'm glad that I, uh, I'm going to keep it short, but uh, Kaufman basically said that he wanted to make a horror movie, and the thing that scared him most was death, so, uh, you know, you think, oh, making a horror movie about death, that's like every horror movie, right? Like uh, Friday the 13th and the Halloween movies, but no, he makes a, a horror movie about, like, the, like, abstract concept of not existing anymore and not leaving behind not being able to leave behind uh what's inside of you and uh there's something so chilling about the whole thing something so upsetting um and that brings me to 58 sophia coppola's mary antoinette uh i love sophia coppola uh i think that she makes I went a little, a few, couple of weeks back, I went a little hard on biopics that uh, are by the numbers where it's just like, this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. I don't think they're universally bad, but I do think that it's a huge trap for the biopic. And this is one that completely avoids that uh, because Sofia Coppola has always been making movies about the moments in between moments that don't often get depicted in movies. And that's exactly what Marie Antoinette is on a $40 million canvas, which she was never given again, uh, even though I think this is her best movie. Uh, this really paints a picture of Marie Antoinette as a teenage girl. And it, um, Sofia Coppola understands that teenage girls, uh, e even back then, they're, they're still teenage girls. And uh, they, it's, they're still awkward and and goofy and naive and um i think this movie has one of the greatest soundtracks of all time i listened to this uh the soundtrack of this movie over and over again the 90s stoner rock just works for me uh this movie is just a vibe uh kirk what do you think of these ones all right uh number 60 ratatouille um uh, i've talked about this before i honestly think ratatouille is maybe the most overrated pixar movie at least top three um i just don't connect with it at all it just doesn't do for me, what I want a Pixar movie to do. It's so small scale. It's so like just low stakes. I just, I'm not, I'm not interested. Like, I don't care about the rat. I don't care about the restaurant. I don't care about it. And I know other people have talked about it too. Um, like the idea of puppeteering a person by pulling their hair is just a dumb concept. And also I love how uh, Linguini is like this poor down on his luck uh, chef, but he has this apartment with like this perfect view of the Eiffel Tower which is, yeah, you're, you're going to get that be like penniless. Um, I, I just have a lot of, a lot of problems with this movie. It's, it's not, it's not a terrible movie, um, but it's never one. I, when I think about Pixar, it's never one I want to go back to. Um, it's connected to New York. Uh, I dig this movie. Uh, this is one that uh, I had to watch another one. I watched for the first time for trivia. And uh, I'll tell you what, if you're, I'll tell you, you guys, if you're in your 20s and you don't connect to this movie, all I'm going to say is wait. Give it time. Because this movie is probably the best expression on film of what the passage of time feels like. Uh, I'm not going to pretend I understand everything that's happened in this movie. Uh, but the fact that, uh, 
you know, the, the, you know, like his kid is one in one scene, his kid's a, a child is a, is a baby is a, a very small child. And the next scene is a teenager. That's like, that's realistic. That's, that's how life moves. And uh, just the fact that like, he's uh, the, the fact that he's kind of like watching his own life. And that's like what life feels like sometimes. Like some, like you, uh, you really don't feel like you're living your own life. You feel like you're watching somebody else live it. It's you, you feel that, that disconnect. So I think there's so much about this movie that just, like for me, I was like, yeah, that's that's real. Like I said, I, the last twenty minutes, I have no clue. I, I I haven't figured that out yet. Um, but there's a lot of this movie that I gravitate to. Um, I understand why people wouldn't like it because it is kind of a slog. Um, but for me, it's a good slog. I really enjoy it. Uh, and then Marie Antoinette, uh, little behind the scenes stuff. How the sausage gets made when the show we we when I get a list for the show, I go through and. Uh, check everything I need to watch and where I can watch it. Marie Antoinette was on Prime and it was on Tubi. So this week I sat down I'm like, I'm going to watch Marie Antoinette and it was off both services. So I didn't get to watch it. Uh, so I will uh, watch it at some point, but I haven't watched it yet. Uh, so that includes everybody's bottom three for the night. Not bad. Not a bad start, guys. Pretty pretty good lists uh, across the board. Uh, let's get in the meat to it. Everybody's going to get to talk. Uh, Scott, we'll start with you with your number 57. What do they expect for their 35 cents? To live forever? My my 57 is the taking of Pelham 123. Of course, the only one that exists, the 1974 version. Um, yeah, one of the, the best thrillers of all time, one of the best New York movies. Um, just perfect. Like, the movie has a perfect tone to it. Like, the, the comedy in the movie really works. Like, the, the mayor of New York has, like, a bumbling uh, idiot. And then um like everything going on in like the transit office between um walter Matthau and like jerry stiller and just all of the like old dudes who just don't have time for like you know what's going on like they're just again they're just doing their jobs um and uh it's just robert shaw plays like such a cold and terrifying villain like he just seems like he's so in charge the entire time you have no idea like how um they're going to be able to to foil his plot and he's just like so uncompromising like nope you have to have the, the million dollars here at this exact time you don't do it we kill a hostage every minute like it's just it's he, he's so like unwavering from his plan um it's it's a really just exciting movie and yeah as many people have said this is probably yeah my second favorite ending to any movie like the final shot of Walter <laughs> Matthau is just I don't even want to say anymore like it's just it's absolutely perfect um you know, the way it's, it's a great, it's one of those like great, like Chekhov's guns where they set something up really um, early in the movie. And then it just like pays off like a slot machine at the end. Um, it's, it's just a, a classic seventies, like crime thriller um, really holds up to this day. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't have too much more to add. Uh, it's, it's, you know, a practically perfect for what it is. Yeah. I, I don't think it's any surprise. I love this movie. Uh, this is so good. Um, I love Mathau and I love Shaw in this. And I, they're, they're almost like they're in two completely separate movies. Like Shaw's like in this very serious, gritty crime thriller. And uh, Mathau is like almost like in, a, like in a dark comedy. And they both play it perfectly and it just works. Um, I love both their performances. All, all the, you know, Martin Balsam, all the guys on the, uh, on the on the train are great and it just there's two kind of like parallel stories happen at the same time are just so much fun you know, like you said like 
just that schlubby character that Mathal plays and Jerry Stiller and everything going on just has like, like that grimy seventies, New York feel that I love, that I love so much. Um, yeah. This, and, and that ending is, is fantastic. Um, yeah. This is a really, really good pick. Uh, everybody else on taking a pillow. One, two, three. Nope. Uh, I saw the movie that didn't exist. Not this one. Rue, you should see, you would love this one. Uh, I think it's so funny that uh, Walter Matthau, like if you just considered like, what would the equivalent of casting Walter Matthau in a movie like this be today? They just never do it. They, they, Denzel Washington is like the closest they could come up with. It, it's yeah. so great. <laughs> he's just a, a work a day guy in this movie. He's just trying his best. He's not like, I have all the answers. Like, no, like, and uh, all of the passengers on the tr the train are so good. I agree. This is like a perfect movie for exactly what it is. Everyone should see this. It's tight. Yeah, I want to see it. I, they, I do. They don't make them like they used to, you know. For as the mm. cliche guys. All right, Spence. Did you, did you have anything on this? Spence just said that. Okay. All right. <laughs> um. Okay. I think we're moving on to my fifty-six. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the waterfront. Um, oh, another class. Another classic. Yeah. <laughs> kind of surprised there's no yikes here. Um, one of the best acted movies of all time, in my opinion. Like one of the best acting ensembles. I mean, Marlon Brando doing arguably his best work. Um, and then you know you just have like that who's who when it comes to the the character actors and everything and the supporting cast. Lee J. Cobb playing Johnny Friendly. Um, you have Eva Marie Saint. Um, Rod Steiger plays his brother. Um, you have, of course, Carl Malden, who is amazing as the priest. Um, it, it, like you just have like two of the best scenes, in my opinion, in a movie. One is um, Carl Malden's like speech down at the docks, like where he just, you know, accosts everybody. And then the other one is the scene between uh, Marlon Brando and um, and Rod Steiger, like in the back of the the car with the, you know, the famous like. I could have been somebody. Uh, it could have been a contender. Um, it's just a great story, like about this guy who is like, he's not the most intelligent, right? Like you get the sense that almost everyone else in the movie like has a little bit more brains than he does, but like he has a sincerity, like he knows what is right, and it's just like him, uh, his struggle to do what is right in the face of like everybody who just thinks they're better than him saying no, you know, th this is um, this is how we do things around here. Um, and it just like it has that like classic movie energy about it where like you just know from scene to scene that you're just watching something that um, has stood the test of time for a long time and will continue to do so. Um, I was I was like I watched this a couple of years ago for the first time. I was just really surprised like how how much it still connected with me because I just you know, I'd always just seen like, oh, on the waterfront, you know, whatever. It's a classic. It's probably really good. But I don't know. Am I going to feel anything? And um it really, it's still like electric, like the drama in the movie is still, still electric from beginning to end. So um, if you haven't seen this one, come on, it's on the waterfront. I like this movie. I appreciate this movie. I enjoy it. I don't like it as much as a lot of other people do uh, or, you know, some other movies of the era, uh, but it's, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Like you said, just a very simple story. Um, with some really great performances. I think Rod Steiger and Carl Malden are the standouts for me. Um, uh, Steiger specifically, uh, just that br as the brother who's kind of like, you, you know, the what 
Marlon Brando could end up becoming and, you know, what he's kind of fighting against and like his own, uh, conf- you know, being conflicted with his brother and, you know, his duties to the, to the gang and everything. And it's just like, I love the, the crime element of it. And that, that, that exploration of that side of that kind of crime world, uh, is really good. Uh, everybody else on, on the waterfront. Uh, I have seen this one, um, but only because I, I needed to round three. It, um, it's amazing. It is, it, it's brilliant. It's brilliantly acted. Um, it was my first look into uh, Arlie Cobb, and man, did he leave an impression. Um, just classics aren't my bag. Um, I, I know there's a couple I haven't seen that I would probably love to death. This one was just one I appreciated. Uh, and then I'm like, yeah, okay, I saw it. Check it off the list. Um, don't want to go back to it, though. Uh, yeah, I saw this pretty recently. Um, I uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, I think by today's standards a little bit, it's a little slow and a little boring, dare I say. Uh, I, the, the scene, um, I, Brando is inherently watchable in anything. Like you could watch Brando in like a piece of shit, like the Island of Dr. Moreau and like, it's still pretty good. Like, uh, but uh, the scene where he uh, like uh, picks up the glove that was uh, famously improvised that even Marie Sate drops and he plays with it on his hand a little bit. Like, that's just some some shit that you, you didn't really see at the time and and seeing him uh, play in that way in a way that's hyper realistic for the time is is so exciting. So yeah, it's it's a good movie. Not the first time it's been brought up on YLS while I'm here, not the last time. It's a it's a good movie. I get why people love it. I personally have a massive narrative problem with this. It'll stop me from loving it. Because everyone says it's a perfect movie, I have to be on the defensive the entire or the offensive, whatever, the entire time about it. That being said, Carl Malden, all-time performance, yes. I will never love the film like everyone else does. Fair enough. Uh, Scott, what is your number fifty-five? Okay, this was yikes from a couple times. Yikes a couple times. Uh, I think it stops here though. Do the right thing is my fifty-five. This needs to be higher on my list. I'm ashamed that it's this low, to be honest with you. I've watched it twice this year and fairly recently. This would be in my top 40, at least, if I was to redo my list today. But um, this is I think this is objectively one of the one of the better movies ever made. Um, like, first of all, I mean, there are so so much about it that just like is, is perfect. But the first thing that stands out to me, the color palette of this movie, like I was watching this with my friend recently and I was like, this is what every movie should look like. Like it just is so vibrant. Like it's just so alive. Like the colors just like pop off of the screen. And nowadays it just feels like there's so many movies that are just so like gray and just uninteresting visual landscapes. Just watching this, it was like from a whole different world. Um, The filmmaking, like the very experimental techniques that he uses at times, like the, um, why can't I think of what it's called? The Dutch angles, like the close-ups, all of that stuff is like, um, really confrontational because the whole movie is is sort of meant to be confrontational in a way. Um, I like to say that the movie is about black and white without being black and white because really the movie is um, just about hate being spewed from all sides of you know the racial spectrum and how we'll never get anywhere as a society unless we we cut that out. Of course, it it feels so so relevant. Um, today but it's it's a movie about you know this community needing to to come together to overcome all of their individual prejudices we see so many individual 
different prejudices expressed by characters from again all over the the map in this movie but also like obviously the third act is very like intense and emotional but the rest of the movie is just such a fun hangout movie like it you really just get so involved in this world you just love spending time with all of these characters imperfect though they may be like i love the scene with the guy whose car that they hose down and you know you have the um the great like reggae song playing um and yeah just like so many fun character moments but also again yeah when it needs to hit like one of my favorite scenes is when jade mookie's sister and bugging out have this conversation on the street and they're like disagreeing about you know uh uh bugging out of course is like i want to boycott sal's because they don't have any like people on the wall and jade is like well i don't know if boycotting is the best strategy like don't you think you could you know do go about this in a more in a, in a less rabble rousing way i guess and uh, you know they have a difference in philosophy about what the best way to accomplish their goals is are but then there's a moment where they just like pause and it's and they're like i still love you bugging out and he's like i still love you jade and that's just like the essence of the movie right there about how we can have disagreements about like what is the best way to you know accomplish our goals like again it feels particularly relevant in light of all the riots and stuff that happened last year um but if we if as long as we still love each other amidst all those disagreements like we're, we're in the right we're going in the right direction as a society um obviously feel still feels so relevant the ensemble is amazing i love ozzy davis as the doctor um john carlo esposito obviously as um as bugging out uh, ruby d as mother sister like everybody is so great john turturro um the scene where they're in the um in sal's and it like you know you see john turturro like absolutely berating um i can't think of his name the mentally handicapped guy in the street like but you're just watching from inside the restaurant like through the window like again br brilliant like framing of that particular scene like it's just spike lee it's just an absolute masterclass. um I've I've talked too long, but it's do the right thing. Like it's it's an, an unbelievable movie. All right, who else had this and where? You you had it first. I I, I had uh, it the lowest. So you're next then, because uh, mine's it was 80s for me. Uh, it was like uh, 90 for me. Oh, okay, perfect. So uh, I had this at 84. I'm in the same spot as Scott. Um, another one where I came to this movie late and only have really seen it once one time through. That's why I couldn't put it as high as, as I should. Um, but again, more I see it, the more it will definitely go up on the list. Um, take everything that Scott said and what makes it more wonderful for me. This is a day in the life movie. As exaggerated as all this stuff seems, this is, if you go to a Brooklyn neighborhood or any just predominantly black neighborhood, this is a day in the life. The conversations between uh, Ozzy Davis and Ruby D. The fact that they're actually married just it's 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 just so wholesome. Uh, even with him being a drunkard, the three dudes sitting down and just talking shit about everybody is absolutely hilarious. Um, Radio Raheem, I like we I know Radio Raheem's. I I, I know um, uh, uh, Roger Guinvenier's character. I've seen those characters. I see I've I've seen them throughout my life in different parts of this country. Um, and it's like these conversations happen. These conversations happen in, in these communities. It may not boil to that point. It may not be the hottest day of the year every year, but this is what 
we experience every day and is the regular where we can disagree and we can disagree on 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 things as important as race uh or as small as 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 the your favorite pizza whatever we go at it and then we're like all right cool so what's what's happening next um and with samuel jackson in the background with the dj narrating it's it's just um a great combination of of very important issues and topics that need to be discussed. But for those who have seen it before, I've been like, yo, I know every single one of these people. And this is a great show of representation and then a great glimpse into what we see every day. And, and I love every aspect of it. Yeah, I uh, like it. Um, you guys said it great that uh, this movie loves the people in this movie. Uh, it's just the... Uh, larger systems and uh, the climate uh, is literally like heating up and uh, and uh, causing everyone to um, uh, they're they're vulnerable to a, a the smallest spark that uh, could set things off and the movie isn't um, is, is isn't judgmental of the characters it's it's talking about the larger system and I love how much this movie loves its characters. Um, I wish people don't talk about this much. I, I wish that Spike Lee would still act in movies. Spike Lee is a magnetic actor uh, and she's got to have it. He's hilarious in that movie. Like what happened? Like, it seemed like he was, you know, seemed like he should appear in more of his movies. Anyways. Um, this is definitely a good movie. Uh, I'm never going to say anything like this is, there's anything really wrong with this. Um, but I think it is a victim of hype for me because just when I hear people say things like Scott, like this is one of the best movies ever made. Um, I just, I mean, like I said, I define this as a movie made by a young filmmaker who has a lot to say that feels like a movie made by a young filmmaker who has a lot to say. Um, I think it suffers from what Spike has suffered from his whole, his whole career, that lack of subtlety, that lack of faith in his audience to, to get the point and have to just hammer it, hammer it home. Um, I think there's a lot, there are a lot of good things about it. Uh, Aussie Davis, absolute national treasure. Another guy who's the best, the best thing in whatever he's in. I watch him do anything. I love him so much. Um, He's uh yeah he's good yeah the re the rest of the cast is solid again like I said it just it has some of those spike pitfalls where I can't like praise it as like an absolute great you know all time great movie. Um, Spence, you're the only one who didn't have it on the list. Yeah, uh, I watched it the first time when I was like 13, and I was I'm sort of in the same camp as you were where it was a victim of being overhyped, but also taking in Spike Lee at that young of an age sort of doesn't gel well with the brain. So I've been meaning to rewatch it for the longest time. Is the I have a list of movies mentioned on here that were yikes that I was gonna rewatch before it got brought up. Didn't make it in time. Uh, so I have I'm just gonna say no opinion because I know that I have the incorrect opinion and it disagrees with how I'd probably see it now. I but, see these. Sorry. My other my only other issue with this movie is for me it feels kind of dated. Like that opening sequence with Rosie Perez doing the Rose running bad and Daigle Spandex. It's so great. It's it's so it's so, nice. it's so, so good. So there's, there's, a, there's a comment. It's, it's really hard for me to take anything serious. I do, but it's difficult after that opening sequence. There's a great comment there that says subtlety is over fucking rated, and I can't agree I just more feel, with that. I feel like history has proven that this type of story needs to be told with like a sledgehammer more than yeah. uh, because we're still not over the issues in this movie. But anyway, and, um, and uh, Rosie Perez is a sledgehammer. That's why she's there. 
So <laughs> more Rosie. Let's go. All right, uh, Scott. What is your number fifty-four? Uh, my fifty-four is another movie about heat. Heat. Yikes! <laughs> for a future up. <laughs> All, right. All right. So we're gonna bounce over to Spence uh, for your number fifty-seven. I think my so, fifty-seven. Yeah. Scott might yikes this. Uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. No. Oh, okay. Uh, so we couldn't tell from the past few picks as well as just who I am. I'm a political person. I enjoy, fuck you, Paul. I enjoy political films. <laughs> and I think this is the rare example of, of, of a political film, which gives me optimism that like I have, I, I think that no matter how shitty humans can be when they manipulate and get their way into politics, there are people there who still want to do the right thing. And that, that is, that is the story of uh, Jefferson Smith. I, I, I think just his just sort of like ascension into the political system as sort of like a puppet or a tool of the larger system. I'm fuck you, Paul. Uh, and just he gets there and he sees how evil it can be and, and realizes that this isn't his life. This isn't who he wants to be. But he still wants to be there to be to do the right thing and be the right person. And it all just it all is just like a boiling point until it reaches finally like the actual final the not, not not like a monologue the um forgetting the technical term for it, filibuster filibuster of him just yeah. barely standing barely speaking fighting for the right thing and actually influencing the politicians around him and working with the kids of the community there is so much just joy there that you wouldn't expect and is it cheesy yes but i, I, I don't think i don't think it speaks down to its viewers or speaks down to the audience i think i think it really confronts them and says we have a broken system and people can fix it. It just takes a lot and wants us to be better people because of it. I think that's an incredible achievement. Yeah, I Capra and Stewart together are just amazing because the stuff they do should not hold up and it should just be looked upon as like laughed at as being cheesy. And so the magic they have is that it isn't like it still works and it still means something. And, uh, yeah, his character in this, it's just that idea like that wide-eyed, ridiculous optimism and just him being so excited to see all the stuff in Washington, D.C. and like sitting at the uh, uh, the one senator's desk and everything uh, is just so great. You juxtapose that with Claude Rains, who's great in this, and just him being jaded, like just completely sucked into the system and you, you're you just, just playing in it and playing him. And yeah, that filibuster scene is so good. And just the end when he's like rasping, he's reading the reading the Bible and um, just barely can stand. Just the fact that at the end, spoiler, like he fails, like he loses. And, you know, he just kind of lucks out that, you know, his his actions influence somebody else to do something that, uh, you know, kind of carry the day. Um, but just just that that that's that's so heartbreaking uh, in what he goes through there. And um, yeah, it, it, it's it, it's there's there's a reality to it. Um, so yeah, I really love this movie. It's a great pick. Everybody else, Mr. Smith. It's a really good movie. Um, yeah, I mean, so much about it just feels like, particularly in recent years, like you know, we're still seeing the same. Like you know, the senators just like walking out rather than doing their jobs just makes me think like, oh, was I am I watching like a Supreme Court confirmation <laughs> hearing from like two or three years ago? Um, because that kind of stuff happens. Uh, and yeah, like you said, Kirk. Like I think it's a really realistic way that like he doesn't succeed in the end uh like and, and so many political campaigns nowadays i feel like are are premised more on like we're, we want to inspire people i mean that's kind of like how bernie sanders has like sustained his 
you know, political career over the past 10 years or whatever is he doesn't win in the end, but like he has inspired like a whole new generation of young people in particular um, to, you know, have a certain ideology. Um, so I, I think that part is is realistic in the way that it shows, you know, how people can be inspired by campaigns, but how a lot of times that the campaigns that reach the most people are not the ones which ultimately, um, you know, succeed. So interesting uh movie uh that i i still think is is uh really engaging i have never seen this film yeah i don't have much to add but uh jimmy stewart real hottie <laughs> and he's a great actor paul and zach fuckers <laughs> <laughs> uh all right so uh spitz what is your number 56 I love, I love this show. I love, I love all of my widely loved picks, and not controversial, like How to Train Your Dragon Two. Uh, <laughs> it's a great movie. I, I love this movie to pieces. Uh, Two thirds of this trilogy are perfect films. I think at the end of the day, I can only really include one. And I sat down with myself, like you know, I just really love this film. I think, I think it has a lot of stakes to it. I think it expands the world really well. I think you I think you it's not as great, but you still have an incredible John Powell score backing it all. And everything just it's one of my favorite animated films ever, period. And it's and it's beyond just like that, oh hey, it's a good DreamWorks movie. It, it's it's incredible and one of the best universes we've created in the past 10, 20 years in film. Uh, again, like also you're like expanding a universe. I think showing Hiccup's backstory with it like adding to his mother and how it's like a, it's a descending sort of thing of how there are people before him who are still trying to like work with the dragons they were still fought against, but he is truly special in the way that he changed society. And amazing, amazing movie. People don't like this. Fuck them. Oh well. Um, yeah, I think this is low key maybe the most overrated movie in this community. Um, I finally got to watch it uh, this 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 year and. Yeah, it's. I just don't get it. Um, I liked the first one. I thought the first one was pretty good. I enjoyed it. My favorite part of the first one was like the flying sequences, and the cool thing about that in that movie is that they're like few and far between, and they're earned. In this one, they're like, "Hey, the flying stuff was cool. Let's have them fly the entire movie," and like they're just on the backs of those dragons the entire time, and it just gets old after like ten minutes. Um, the there's like the big emotional twist in it. Um, that is telegraphed instantly. Like, I didn't know what was going on. Like, I, I knew something happened. Like, everybody talked, I didn't know what it was. But there's a moment where something happens, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's going to happen. And that's exactly what happened because they make it so obvious that that's what's happening. Uh, so it really didn't connect with me because I saw it coming 10 miles away. Um, yeah, I haven't seen the third one, but out of the two I've seen, this is definitely the second best. Everybody else on... <laughs> How train dragon two? Like uh, a lot I, more when you see the third one. <laughs> the one I I just I just don't even see how anyone could give a shit about these movies at all. Like I mean, like the first one's like pretty good. I was like, oh, this is better than I thought it was gonna be for DreamWorks. And then I saw the second one, and because everyone hyped it up, like, oh, this is actually great. It's like, oh, this is basic. Like I, I don't see how like this is a big deal. The third one was an abomination. So avoid that, Kirk. It's just the most bland shit. That's all I have to say about this. I don't care about these movies at all. Wow. I just don't care. 
I can't even criticize them. It's just like didn't even leave a mark, you know. This movie is amazing. I don't know what you're talking about. Just because you see it coming doesn't make it hurt any less. Like the bonds in the relationship, the continuation of the world building in this movie, the the, the stakes that they actually bring into it, uh, the the characters that you love. It, I'm sorry, I I'm spent some with you 100. Uh, percent This is probably arguably one of the best animated franchises period um it's up there that's why i had it on my show uh to argue it's 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 fucking great i'm sorry i i you all don't like joy i guess <laughs> so i can't believe this hasn't come up before but like i have a flaw in my code where movies that are about animals or creatures or the like that do not speak or have human attributes, I cannot emotionally connect to. Like, that's, <laughs> again, it is just a flaw in my code. With that right. being said, somehow <laughs> this is weirdly the only, uh, the only How to Train Your Dragon movie I've seen um, because of trivia. But um, so I'm starting at a disadvantage, is what I'm saying. With that being said, I think I enjoyed this about as much as I possibly could enjoy it. Um, given again the the flaw in my code, whatever you want to call it, um, I don't know something about like that. This is way too excited. Back. You throw like eight games <laughs> all the in how much you like this movie. Cardano, no, it's my something about the movie of all time. It's really important to me. <laughs> something about the opening dragon race and like the John Powell score and all that. You get kind of swept away. I won't lie. So I mean, it's never going to be one of my favorite movies or anything like that, or something that I will even rewatch that much. But it was much more enjoyable than I was expecting when I sat down to watch it, given the baggage I bring into it. <laughs> but it's toothless, man. It's toothless. Yeah, yeah. All right, Spence, says with your 55. If this doesn't get yikes, uh, y'all should be canceled. Uh, the Thing, 55, the good one. Oh, yikes, future. Thank you, Jake. Someone else has got this movie. And uh, 54. 54, Coho, play the clip. Here he comes. Here comes the general. Ladies and gentlemen. Here comes the general. The moment you've been waiting for. Here comes the general. The pride of Mount Vernon. Here comes the general. Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton bitches. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> it's a great fucking movie. It is one of the best musicals of all time. And you know I got why it. it's a great fucking movie? Because it's just the stage play. That's all that it is. No changes. Nothing. I this, this also is sort of like, I won't say revolutionized. But I think it's added something really special and like ingenious to film culture nowadays. Which, honestly, it's really helpful. People have realized, right? That there's no reason to adapt a musical if you're going to make it worse. So let's just record the stage version, which has worked great because we've gotten Newsies, Come From Away, Beetlejuice is Coming, and then they fucking didn't learn with Jeremy Hansen. But when you capture one of the greatest pieces that hit theater in the past decade, as, as, as raw and visceral and as perfect as it is, there's no way you can't respect it to the point that we had to have a fucking poll in this community to see if Hamilton counted in Disney live action in fandom. Because everyone was so enamored and so drawn in by it. This is the one reason I might lose this week because Kirk's like, oh, you didn't pick a movie. I don't fucking care. I've watched this six times in a year, which is a lot for me. This is perfection. Okay, first of all, we had a poll for fandom 
because Coho wanted it in fandom. Let's not. Let's not. Uh, there were enough votes for it to matter. <laughs> Second of all, I don't know if you're losing more points for this pick or for that hat. That's that's. I'm, that's I'm committing. <laughs> Happy Halloween, bitches! It, it, it went way better than the previous time. It yeah, was like, <laughs> also. That's textbook pandering. <laughs> all right. Um, is it a movie? No. Is it good? Yes. That's all I'll say. Everybody else had Hamilton. Yes, it's 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 amazing. It is it is an absolutely amazing thing, whether it's a movie or not. Um, it brings up uh, it allows me to bring up the fact that I'm still mad at myself for not putting the original Kings of Comedy on this list because I forgot I forgot about it and I love that film. It's the closest thing I can think of, but that's more of a movie than than Hamilton is um, in my mind. Uh, but it's amazing. It's it's it is one of the best musicals uh, ever. So whatever. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like I don't, I don't really have a leg to stand on here because I did have Stop Making Sense, which is a concert film, and this is a concert film too. I mean, again, you may, you could maybe parse out some differences, uh, but I don't know. I, I, I so I'm not going to sit here on my high horse and say that it's not a movie. Um, I think it's like one of the more incredible pieces of art, really, just made in my lifetime. Um, I know Lin Manuel Miranda is whatever. Like I, I think he, the guy gets too much hate. To be honest with you, sure he does some stuff that's cringeworthy, but he's obviously um, extremely talented, judging by this and in the Heights. Um, so I don't have a bad word to say about about Hamilton. I mean, it's it's a six out of five if we could rate that on on Letterboxd. Uh, it's it's amazing. It should be on your uh, list. I uh, I haven't heard like a single song from Hamilton. I've avoided this. <laughs> People are like, oh, it's like a it's like a rap, but it's about like history and learning and stuff. It's and but like, it's so much better corny. than that description. That sounds so corny. No hey thanks. Todd, what the fuck? See, that's the thing. This sounds like epic something rap battle. Like, like, don't do that. Should I sit cross legged in like an assembly and watch this shit? Like that's what I feel like. See, unacceptable! No, I got to see this. I know I got to see. I yeah. just busting your nuts. I got to see this. Whoa. My wife hates musicals more than I do. Um and and she is not into corny rap and she saw this and could not look away. They make it good. Like if it's so yeah. well lauded to something that's probably going to be so corny, they actually make it work as and as I'm assuming the resident hip hop head on this stream it plays. It works, and it's great. Yeah, and it's and as a big fan of the history, uh, like I'm a big history. I'm a hi, I'm a history <laughs> sectors covered here. I'm, I'm a his, I'm a big history buff. Like I love this period of history, and like the 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 rap battle, like the the cabinet rap battle, is like so accurate, like so historically good. accurate. It's, it, it, in rap, it's so good. I will say my favorite thing about Hamilton on Disney Plus. Uh, the touring company Hamilton is coming back to Pittsburgh next year. Tickets are going to be going on sale. Pre Disney Plus, tickets started at five hundred dollars. Post Disney Plus, they start at forty nine dollars. So thank you <laughs> Disney Plus for that. As a fan of Murder in New Jersey, this is a great film. <laughs> All right, uh, that was your fifty four. So we're going over to Rue for Rue's number fifty seven. Yeah, I know you stop being cold. Yuck. All right, uh, fifty seven is. I think my favorite coming of age film of all time. Uh, and that is, oh, and he's frozen. Lovely. He'll be back. Uh, and that is dope. Uh, 
dope is is my life when you are the geek among all the hood and all the not geek and all the people who like you think would would call you geeks and make fun of you but in reality like they look at you and you're like ah good dude let them be but if they get into some shit what are we going to use them for everything about this film is so so good and so accurate. Sh Shameek Moore and Tony Revolori and Kirstie Clemens together are what like a crew should be. Um, ASAP Rocky is weirdly good in this. He is the OG that like looks out for for the good kids in the neighborhood. Like, man, I know you. Get away from this uh, until he gets in some shit. And he's like, all right, you're the one that that I need you for now. Zoe Kravitz is 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 heartfelt in this and the relationship with her and Shamik Moore uh you really want to succeed uh it's funny it's out there as fuck sometimes which they I, I will say there's one scene for me it was like okay maybe I'll skip past this one because it's a little too much um but I I love this film to death um and, and especially the whole uh uh the whole story about him trying to get Harvard and the story he he and the the essay he's writing it just connects to my to my uh my my black geek heart uh, blurs love this film and i love it to death uh yeah i've only, i've only seen this the one time um and i really enjoyed it i want to rewatch it again because it's been a while and i don't remember everything about it uh but it's i, I remember really enjoying it like i like you said like that representation of like black geek culture that you never see and that's like for them to be the main characters too like you'll see movies where that's like a side character and it maybe is treated as a joke or whatever. Um, but for them to be like, that's who these are. Like, the movie has a lot of heart. The characters are real. I hate coming of age movies where it's like just fake characters. All these characters feel real. Uh, like, again, I'll say, I said this before about another movie. The world feels lived in. Um, and you, you root for them. And I, I really enjoy it. So, again, it's another one I want to revisit. But I did like it a lot. Uh, everybody else on Dope. I watched this for trivia. And it's pretty good. Big fan of it. Love coming of age films. Uh, I, I I think it you it's it creates LA as like a character in the narrative. And I think or California as, as like a thing in the narrative, and it's great. I think it works really well. As, I think it's a really interesting and just well. I I, I the, the world seems real, even even if some of the things are are like very big and exaggerated. I think it's still grounds it in a way that makes it really interesting and very funny. Uh, yeah, I like the movie, too. I've only seen it once as well, and it was on a plane, so not always the ideal uh, viewing scenario for movies, but I already talked about how the first time I saw The Big Lebowski was on a plane, too, and that made my list. So maybe this will make my list someday. I don't know. I did really enjoy it. I think, obviously, I don't connect to it as in the same way, um, but I think that um, I like that about it because it shows you know me a world that i probably otherwise might not experience but also at the same time it means it might not ultimately ever be one of my favorites um but i really do enjoy the movie and zoe kravitz i'm always looking very respectfully when she is in a movie <laughs> yeah no zoe kravitz is fantastic in this uh yeah i like this movie a lot i think it's really good uh one thing that holds it back a little bit for me is that uh, sometimes it feels like it's stretching a little bit too much to be a little bit too 90s cool, a little bit too winky, fresh princey. And it, it just, sometimes it can feel a tad uh, inauthentic in how the same way I feel 
honestly, about some of J. Cole's music. Uh, I feel like it's a little bit... Oh yeah, we get it. You, <laughs> you know the nineties, like what? like you remember the nineties. That's that's how I feel about this movie. A little bit. Just a okay, little bit. I'm, I, I'm oh. a big J. Cole fan. I've saw I've seen him live before. I, I real that but, uh, just a little bit. I, I'm gonna reel it in just because I'll let you know when somebody's into the nineties like that, they're into the nineties to that nature. That's how realistic that is. They go all in. Um and J. Cole is amazing, so I'm glad you have, have supported the man. So, <laughs> all right, uh, Ru, give us your number 56. My 56 is my number one Star Wars film, and that's Rogue One Star Wars story. I can objectively say that probably a good amount of the original ones are a better film, but for me, as great as they are. They are a slog to get through sometimes, and I don't want to go back. This is the Star Wars film. Um, not saying anything bad about it. They just they're a little too slow for me. They just are. This one is amazing to me. When I first saw it, how I connected, and I hear all the arguments about how you don't connect to the characters and it's not whatever. I don't understand. I connect to every single character from jump. All of the actors are amazing in this film. Mads Mikkelsen can do no wrong. Ben Mendelsohn is the perfect amount of just sinister, but not really the top dog, and he plays that to perfection. Um, the fact that uh, Cassian has to straight up kills the dude at the beginning of the film, you're like, okay, these characters are not perfect in any way. They're just trying to do what they need to do to survive. And, um, and the MVP of basically every film he's in uh, or at least one of them. Alan Tudyk as K, uh, K2SO is my favorite droid of all time. He is sarcastic and hilarious and just absolutely pitch perfect. Um, the fact that a Disney film, because this is full-on Star Wars Disney, killed every single one of these people, and they did that, was something I never thought Disney would ever do, and it was like, that makes me feel for the character so much more. And if we can get Donnie Yen in everything, please give me Donnie Yen in everything. And lastly, uh, the, uh, the, the lightsaber scene with Vader is fucking amazing. And I don't know why people hate the uh, don't choke on your aspirations. I think that is a dope-ass line. That is the lit that is perfect for a person who came into the original Star Wars late, saw the puns, and was like, oh, that's why that happens. I I I enjoy the hell out of this movie. Um, it is what I enjoy in my fantasy movies where there are characters you love, the pace is a little uh, a little just it doesn't slog as much. You don't have that much of a lull. Uh, there are stakes to it, and and I Again, a as, a as a person who has seen all the Star Wars plenty of times, this is the one that I love going back to the most. Um, and and yeah, I, I love it. Uh, just for your information, Empire is two, The Last Jedi is three. Okay, you had me till the end there. Respect. Because uh, <laughs> I was going to say Respect. this is this is uh, your favorite Star Wars movie. That's not as wrong as you possibly could be, um, but based on your list, you're close. Um, <laughs> The uh, no, this is a good. I don't think this is a perfect Star Wars movie. I think this is a perfect Star Wars standalone movie. I think this is great for what they do. I'm a fan, I know it's cool to hate on it now, but I love the saga. I want 
this, that's 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 what I want out of my main Star Wars movies. But I I love a standalone movie like this. It takes a little corner of the lore and expands on it like it should. Um, I think it did a great job of that. I think it's just really cool to see a Star Wars war movie. Um, I think that I, I wish we would have seen like a lot of those deleted scenes, like just the stuff you see in the commercial, like her in the pilot uniform and them running from the ad ads and everything. I wish we would have seen that version of it. Um, cause I think that may have been a more exciting movie. Um, I, there's some stuff in the third act, especially that I don't love that I feel like got chopped up somewhere. Um, but no, overall it's, it's a really fun movie. I got no complaints about this. Like I said, um, this is where I want people to experiment in, in the standalone movies. Like I want, I want uniformity in my saga movies. Take these stand st- standalone movies and have fun with them. Do what you can do. And that's what they did here. So I'm not going to say anything bad about your pick. Everybody else on Rogue One. Yeah, for a movie that was directed by like seven different people, probably, uh, it turned out <laughs> awesome. Uh, it really did. I, I, I'm a huge fan of this movie. Um, I also have a, a oddball Star Wars take, I guess, which will be coming up on my list a little bit later. But um, so I, I respect that route. But yeah, th- this movie's great. Like, I don't agree at all that you don't connect to the characters. Like, I think all the characters are, are fantastic. Like, it it makes it such a gut punch as the end when they, uh, when you know, when they do all die. I mean, I think Felicity Jones is just really underrated in general. I almost always enjoy enjoy her and stuff that she's in. And yeah, K2SO is great. The, there, there's a problem on the horizon. There's no horizon. Um, yeah, some great lines. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it just, the emotional stuff really works. Like the rebellions are built on hope and all of Jen's whole back narrative. Like, um, you know, the the last 30 minutes or so is really kind of spine tingling. So um, I, no, no uh, complaints here about the pick. It's a, it's a great movie. You know, it's a real great uh, half a movie. The first like hour, I don't give a fuck about any of the characters or anything that's happening. The biggest failure of the movie isn't that it's bad; it's that it's not really directed. Like I said, it's not really directed by one person. It's not really a cohesive story. I think a lot goes on basically until the Battle of Scarif, and it's just like, oh, this is there. Like when fucking when the when the planet blows up, no one cares. It's just there. Forrest Whitaker is bad. The Ooh, weird God, anti-alien stealing oh, is bad. Her prison, her prison escape is bad. Whatever the fuck. Uh, when her dad just gets shot, I don't give a fuck. Like nothing that in this movie matters. Scene, How does that opening scene not connect you to the, the, the hey, dad? Hey, I'm going to kill a character you have no connection to. Kidnap a character you have no connection to. And a girl goes and hides. Like I... Nothing, nothing there happened, and even on rewatch, when I, know I guess you hated Glorious Bastards. Too. We can talk about that. Yeah. We, can, we can talk about that later, Scott. But no, Rue, I just we will. Don't worry. <laughs> this being your favorite Star Wars movie genuinely makes no sense because there's every, everything done. This movie is done better in other Star Wars films, and together they're just like an un, an unappealing pile of. Uh, Rue, I actually agree with everything you said, even though I fake threw up when you said this was your favorite Star Wars movie. <laughs> I actually like the don't choke on your uh, aspirations uh, uh, line, too. Like, I, I I like the characters. I love the ending. The opening is amazing. Uh, I just, and it has some amazing moments. I just think that there is a 
probably the first third of the movie, other than the opening scene, it just all feels disjointed. Like it's jumping from place to place to place and saw gorilla. It, it, it doesn't, it does feel like this limb that never really developed in the plot. Like it, it was probably something at some point and it just never really got there. And I do think that some, we're all a little biased because I, I also remember the trailer coming out and so much stuff being in the trailer that didn't end up in the movie. It really threw people off a little bit. That was a weird little bit of, do you guys remember this? That I think a weird little thing. I think for me, I didn't see this in theaters because I wasn't a huge star Wars fan. So I don't remember any of those. So that doesn't affect me. So I need to go back and watch the trailer and then like, be like, ah, oh, damn. I might, and, and look for it because <laughs> I saw this way later than it came out because Star Wars was never like my huge thing. So I was like, yeah, I'll watch it one day and then ended up loving it. What, what does Saw Gorilla think of this movie? Saw Gorilla? <laughs> <laughs> I can only go to Borg Gullet for so long. So that's about it. I, I, go, 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 that's I love I it. Do. That's all I can do. All right. Uh, Rue, what is your number 55? Uh, Kirk, we're going to go back to fan zone, and I can actually see your actual thoughts when you don't have to argue about me about what I actually think is one of the best thrillers of the 2000s, I believe 2000s, uh, and that's 16 Blocks. Um, I love this. I a, Another one I came to late, and when I saw it, uh, it just surprised the hell out of me, and I loved this film. The biggest thing I like about this film is that as a thriller – um, it's not trying to really go through uh, a, a, a huge twist or a big thing. They tell you exactly what's going on, and it's really about take a ride with these two people. Can they go these 16 blocks with dozens and dozens of corrupt cops in their way? Go along for the ride. Um, and take that and put Bruce Willis in what he does best, uh, in a role of what he does best at the time where he doesn't give a shit, give him a character that doesn't give a shit. So he's acting actually, he's doing it well. And a lot of people hate the choice most deaf takes with his voice. And I was thrown off when I first heard it, but by the end of the movie, I absolutely love it because when you have somebody who's as jaded as a Bruce Willis being Bruce Willis, you need somebody who is optimistic and is looking at the signs and is all for change and saying anybody can change. And usually you hear somebody like that and, you, and you're like, you're full of shit. But the fact that he uses that voice makes him more believable. You're like, a dude who sounds like this would believe this, would 100% believe this. And the, then the uh, dynamic between the two of them becomes more believable and you just want to, you, you know they're going to make it. You just want to know how they're going to make it and when they go through. And I, uh, from moment, so it takes, a, I, I will say it takes about, because I rewatched this when I had to argue with this movie against Kirk. Um, and it does take maybe about 10 to 15 minutes to really go. But the second it goes, it doesn't, it, it, it just goes and goes and goes and doesn't stop. Even with the smaller moments of, of uh, dialogue between the two, because as your heart is racing and, you, and you, it backs up, you build the character and the dynamic between the two. So you're just along all the way to the end. I know, Kirk, you said they telegraphed a little thing with Bruce Willis at the end. I forgave it because I loved it uh, by that point. So uh, I, I absolutely love 16 Blocks. And I also just love Most Def as an actor. So more of him slash Yasin Bey in everything, please. 
yeah, see, this is the problem you referred to it is you made me basically hate watch this movie. Like I had I'm to go sorry. through it. I'm I had sorry. to go through and nitpick it and find every single thing I could watch. So I had to watch it from that lens. Um, but ob- objectively as I can, even though I've only had that one watch, it's not a bad movie. Um, it's, it's a, it's like, it's, I think it's a fun, you know, little thriller. I think, uh, uh, Donner does a good job with it. I do think, you know, it's, it's Bruce Willis, you know, sleeping through most of it. Cause that's what he was doing at this time of his career. Um, most stuff is a bad, that voice is hard for me to deal with. It feels like a, a Marlon Wayne's character from in living color. Like it just, nice. and it just, it's just going on, but, um, it, it's hard to take that seriously. But, uh, yeah, like I said, I, unfortunately I was forced to, take a negative stance against this movie and that colors my view of it i have to rewatch. i have to rewatch it freely and just look at it as a as a normal viewer and not somebody that wants to tear it apart um but everybody else on 60 blocks uh yeah you have this is your second yes in bay movie i uh, my, you both that's one of my favorite rappers uh and he is one of my favorite rapper turn actors um and he, you can you can collectively change between yasin bay and most def all, all you want Either name is perfect. Right. Uh, yeah, I think he goes by Yasin Bay now. I don't know. He does, uh, yes. But, he does. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's one of I, – I think, yeah, every – he's first having such a short career. He's so good in everything, and he makes such big choices, and that's what I love about him. I love that he does the voice. It's like most um, musicians I- turned actor, I think – would have too big of an ego or or be too nervous to go as big as he's willing to go. You see it in something like Be Kind, Rewind as well. And uh, I think he's just a, a fantastic actor. And I think it's pretty brave what he's doing with like doing a big, uh, goofy voice. I, I I really love him. Never seen it, never uh, heard of it. It's a Richard Donner. So true to four. True to form for Rue's list. I have seen this on cable uh, many years ago. Could not tell you a single thing about it except that Bruce Willis and most are the leads of it. So I don't know. Maybe that means it wasn't a good movie. Maybe it just means I haven't seen it in a while. But, you know, it's definitely a Rue pick. That's what I will say. You all are taking a uh, journey through my childhood and teenage <laughs> and adult years. This is what you're doing with this top 100. Uh, if you, my number if you 54. Me, <laughs> if you told uh, me you haven't f- seen this, I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, my number 54 is a movie that I'm very upset that I have not had the time to go back to to talk about it more because I chose to watch another movie later on today or tonight. But it is one of my favorite comedies ever. Uh, and can somebody say, slapping the best, man. I love you. <laughs> I love the hell out of this film. I love Paul Rudd. I love Jason Siegel. I want to be friends with them. I want a dog named Anwar Sadat. I want to go uh, sell has- houses for Lou Ferrigno. This is just the funnest time ever. And I think it's a the Judd Apatowish comedy not directed by Judd Apatow that takes all the things you might not like in the in, in some of his films, puts them away, and just lets you sit back and enjoy everybody you're looking at. J.K. Simmons, I am so mad he is not in the movie more. Damn, is he so funny in this film. Uh, and and, and uh, I, I uh, uh, the, the, the 
dynamic or the 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 husband and wife relationship between him and Rashida Jones. It's just it's just a cute ass, hilarious ass, fun ass film that that it's it I I again I need to watch again. I bought the Blu-ray specifically for this and haven't gotten to it yet. And I just cannot wait. It gives me all the joy. I don't think you're the first person to have this on the top 100. I can't I remember who not, had I think it. Zach, uh, Zach had it, or I think Zach did have it. Yeah, Zach that's exactly it. Yes. that. That checks out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, this is again top 100. It's not a bad movie though. I like it. It's uh. It's yeah, the, the dynamic between the sun, and it's very well captures like that adult thing of like trying to like make new friends or find new friends or like expressing like appreciation for another person as an adult. Um, Adelaide, like, how hard, how how much do you connect with that as two people who within the last five years have moved to Charlotte? Like, we need, I need people. Where are my people? Yes, friends is fucking hard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, I'm like an hour down the road. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and I think you don't get a lot of movies that, that explore that. And I think that's kind of the point of it. Um, but yeah, it's fun. It's funny. And like I said, like you said, it's that kind of like Judd Apatow. Um, I don't want to say it's more heart because I think his movies do have heart. But I think like with, I don't know, just it's more genuine, a little more genuine. Uh, it's a little less jokey and the character is a little more real. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate it. Uh, everybody else on I Love You, Man. I've not seen it. Nor I have got I. The I got okay. the Blu-ray. I got uh, I was like kind of like obsessed with this movie when it came out. Like I like me and my friend, uh, we like uh, watched it on a laptop, and uh, like later that night when we were like we were drunk or whatever at like a his cottage, and we were like, want to watch it again? And we watched it again, and I have to say. I've kind of done a 180 on this movie where I is like, I don't even like it anymore. I don't think I like this movie. Oh, no. It's a weird thing. It doesn't happen a lot, but I really like this movie. And now I go back and watch it. Maybe it's just me getting older, but I'm like, it's fucking stupid. This guy wants a friend. Like, I just like, uh, like make Friending a friend. Like, oh no, you don't have a best man. It's like, just pick your brother. Who gives a shit? Like, no, 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 you can't do that. That's, I don't know. It just, I turned on it. I don't know. I, I love Rush. I, I can't All help right. it. That was your 54. So now, Jake, we're coming to you for number 57. Okay. And, uh, okay. So earlier I brought up uh, Synecdoche, New York, which is Roger Ebert's favorite movie of all time. And it's about like a weird fake city. And next, I have one of uh, Gene Siskel's favorite movies. It's also about uh, a big weird city. I have Babe Pig in the City. <laughs> that was gonna be Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> Where's Rosario at? I thought. How how, does, how has it been mentioned twice in the YLS now? <laughs> I don't know. It's really. <laughs> yes. He had it much higher though, so. Yeah, no, sorry, <laughs> like number eight well, or something. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, put the little graphic up. This says Babe Pig in the City. Show it some respect. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Thank you. Uh... <laughs> Unacceptable. Uh, so this movie is is a very normal, very regular movie that just uh, it makes perfect sense. Uh, it's about basically this little pig that goes into this uh, big, weird, uh, like German expressionist uh, like city that's just a combination of all these cities. 
Uh, it's kind of got like this Paddington vibe too. If Paddington gave you nightmares, uh, it's fucking weird and and kind of claustrophobic. And and there's uh, all these these talking animals in it, and it, it's just incredible that um, that they got this many animals on screen choreographing them, and that they are holding my attention. <laughs> like I I just the whole thing. It's it's like a weird fever dream. Like. Like watch this movie if you have the flu. Like I feel like I, I want to know what you think when you like like take hard drugs and watch Babe Pig in the City. It's fucking wild. Uh, yeah, Kirk. I assume you hate Babe Pig in the City. Yeah, it is a fever dream, but fever dreams aren't good things. That's that fever dreams are a very <laughs> awful experience. So that's a very good description of this movie. Is yeah, I don't like this at all. I don't get the appeal. I know I can see what they're going for, but I think they failed. I think this movie is just above all things ugly like it's like nauseating to look at like i hate the set design that hotel is just so poor like it's supposed to be like this biggest best thing like again you said claustrophobic it feels that way but i don't think it's supposed to i think it's just a flaw in the cinematography or something um and yeah it's just dumb talking to animals and yeah yeah it's super dark but for no good reason um i just yeah i hate this movie everybody else on baby pick of the city at least the animals talk, but uh, yeah, no, I, I haven't seen it. <laughs> this movie is is weird and just. I'm, I'm with Kirk. It's it, it was a it's a hard watch to do. Uh, had to round three, and it was like, man, this is. Yeah, that's why I watched it too. It's it's trying to be sweet, but it's just being a little. It's just too dark. It didn't mix the dark and the sweet well. It it just came out awkward and somewhat gross. Like a gross feeling after watching it. Maybe it doesn't have gross things. I was just like, oh, okay, sure. Compared, like the dog especially with, with his head in the... Yeah, especially with the original one actually being really sweet. And then this mm -hmm. one was like, George Miller. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah George Miller. Did you... Oh, it's did a brutal film. Make, did you try to make <laughs> Mad Max into the... I don't know. What are you doing? Is it in the Mad Max world? That's why I felt that way. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it, it's scary. <laughs> I agree. I I just love so much that over the past four or five weeks of Jake picking really fucked up horror films and Rob Zombie nightmares, this gets the strongest reaction from the panel. Uh, I have no interest in this. Probably never watch it. You couldn't fucking pay me to. I do not care about Babe or him being in a fucking city. <laughs> Fair. All right. All right, Jake. Number 56. I have another strange, weird, fever dream, fake city movie coming up uh, next. I didn't plan this, but I have three weird fever dream, fake city movies. I have uh, Eyes Wide Shut, which has already been uh, yikes. <laughs> yeah, that was on my list. Yeah, Scott, you yikes it. Uh, so Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, my favorite thing about. Oh. Nope. Oh, uh. I have nothing to say. That's why I'm going for a second. Okay. <laughs> it looks like you. <laughs> uh, yeah, eyes wide shut. Uh, so the thing I like about this is that uh, the thing with Kubrick is that he's usually dealing with much larger ideas like space and and like um, uh, war and and like abstract ideas like violence and stuff. And, and to me, uh, it's 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 fascinating to watch Kubrick try to scale it down into like. 
yeah, what about like human relationships? And uh, I think people that hate this movie are like, he failed to capture uh, human relationships. Like, uh, it, this is so weird and stilted. And this isn't what like parties are like. And this isn't what a city is like. And this isn't what, this isn't real or whatever. And it's like, yeah, realism is totally overrated. Uh, Kubrick, uh, I, I don't think he's aiming for realism. But even if he is, whatever his his strange lens on the world is as a, a weird old recluse. Uh, that's a much more interesting uh, version of the world to me and of relationships to me than anything uh, like a, a Noah Baumbach, uh, a marriage story or something. <laughs> this is much whoa, more interesting. To me. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's like, um, it's like looking at a Picasso painting and be like, Oh, why is it all fucked up? It's like, yeah, it's cause it's made by some genius. He knows what he's doing. Like I, I don't get why people hate this movie. Uh, yeah, I like it quite a bit as well. Um, I, and I think I mentioned this before, but Kubrick is one of those, like one of the few odd tours where it's just like, his movies just don't connect for me. Like, not that I don't think they're not good. Like, obviously they're, they're made with like an incredible craft, but just like emotionally, they don't go anywhere with me. And this is the only one that does of the ones that I've seen, which is weird because like, I'm not married, right? And this movie is like a lot about marriage and infidelity, I think, in particular. Um, but I don't know, just something about like this like surreal, like Lynchian, all in one night, like plot that he like, you know, orchestrates is it just, it, it's the mystery of it, I think is what really draws me in. Um, and, you know, Tom Cruise again, as I've said, he's my favorite actor. I think, um, you know, he's doing a lot of interesting things here. The movie is real, right? Do what? Oh, sorry, sorry. No, no, what'd you say? I, I said it's all just, like, off, though, right? Like, the whole yeah. thing is just, like, a little off. Like, Yeah, and it's a weirdly funny movie as well, um, which I appreciate because, like, you know, this, the situation, obviously, that he finds himself in is, like, just ridiculous to some degree. So I like that they own up to that and then like you know the very last line obviously is very humorous of the movie and one of the one of the best last it? lines um it i'm good but uh ah, it's a great, great great christmas movie last two things i want to say great christmas movie number one and number two uh sydney pollock with the suspenders and no shirt on underneath is an all-time <laughs> movie look right there he's great in it uh, he is great yeah, Michael kind of stole my joke when you're trying to show human relationships to the people you choose are Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. You're going to fail at, uh, at, at reflecting human relationships. Um, and honestly, the two of them, like my like the, the, the Kubricky stuff about this movie, it doesn't bother me. My problem with this movie is them, uh, specifically Nicole Kidman. I don't think she's a great actress overall, and I think she is terrible in this i know what she's doing that one scene where they're talking and she starts laughing at him i honestly can't tell if she's supposed to be fake laughing or if she's just doing such a horrible job pretending to really laugh like she's actively bad at this uh cruz isn't awful but he's not that great either um i think if you had two other actors especially and i just hate the stunt casting and of, of putting them together um that that never works. I feel like if you had two other actors in this, I think you'd get a much better product. Uh, but yeah, like like the the real like the like the the, the party at the end and all the shots on the all and everything. Um, I, I I don't mind that the look of it. And I mean, it's not it's not an otherworldly city. It's just London, very obviously not being New York. Uh, but uh, it works. 
um, and like the Christmas kind of vibe, like just juxtaposes with like the, the grimness of the story. Um, so there's a lot about it I like, but the two leads just kill it. I, honestly, this is one of my least favorite Kubrick movies, and it's almost entirely because of that. Uh, Can I just say though that like, uh, sorry to interject, Kirk, uh, but the, like they filmed it over 400 days, so they probably had the version that uh, of Nicole Kidman's performance that he wanted. I mean, you know, he picked well, yeah. that one. Like, I can't blame her, right? Like, I, I, I don't know. He ventured it. I know. Uh, Rue, you said you haven't seen this. Spence, you never on your list. Any uh, so, talk about it? Remember when I mentioned earlier in the show, there was two movies I was going to watch next week. I'm not going to up on screen. My wireless watch list for Yikes movies are Do, do the, the Right Thing and Eyes Wide Shut. I was going to watch them both next week. That's a Fuck. great double feature right there. Yep, very similar films. I'll, I'll try to watch them both before uh, end of the show. I love Kubrick. I just that's like my big blind spot for him. That and uh, Barry Lyndon. All right, that takes us to uh, Jake's number fifty-five. At uh, number fifty-five, I have Dazed and Confused. Yikes! To a future episode. And you should thank me because Kirk is going to kill us. Jumped <laughs> <laughs> on that grenade. Okay. Uh, number 54, uh, Babe, Pig in the City. Okay, maybe that's not a normal movie. Like, maybe that's a weird movie, okay? But Gremlins 2 is a very normal <laughs> film. <laughs> About normal gremlins who, uh, break into, like, a giant TV station and uh yeah no this movie's fucking weird and uh that's what i love about it it's uh joe dante said that like they they told him that uh they wanted to make a sequel to gremlins and he's like well gremlins doesn't need a sequel it had a great ending he's like oh, i should make a movie about how gremlins doesn't need a sequel and about uh how like ridiculous uh consumerism and conglomerates are and it feels like uh the more and more we uh the further further we get into this dystopia the more gremlins 2 was uh proven correct there's a twitter account called the institute of gremlins 2 studies that uh, everyone should follow <laughs> where they take this very seriously uh and uh they point out that like a lot of the jokes um like in gremlins 2 don't even land today because it's real uh, like a cooking a channel where there's only cooking uh was a joke at the time and it's like yeah that's just a thing now uh, and let me just read something from the, uh, Gremlins 2. Uh, I don't. Yeah, never mind. I'm not going to read anything from this Twitter account. But anyways, you should go follow it. It's great. <laughs> Gremlins 2. This Why is, do you hate it? This is another, this is another movie. I got a lot that's it's been on the list before and I've gotten uh, a lot of flag for it because I said I liked it. Yeah. Uh, this is. <laughs> I I, I I told this story on the uh, on the last one. I'll tell it again. I, I've kind of come full circle on this movie. Um, when I was a kid, like I was like the perfect age for 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 like this kind of Gremlins movie. I was just excited, like, yeah, more Gremlins. This is this is awesome. You know, just you know, vegetable Gremlin and sexy Gremlin and lightning Gremlin is cool. I just want more <laughs> Gremlins. And then as I got a little older, and I was like, you know, 
started to like learn about film, I was like, oh, that's stupid. That was just a cash in, whatever. They just just trying to sell toys. And then like as I like got even older and like I learned about like the story of this and why it was made and you know the idea behind it. Um, I kind of like turned on it again, and like I really enjoy it now, just because I think you were saying, Jake, like the ideas before, just what Dante was trying to say and what he did, and just how precious the movie is with so much stuff. Um, and yeah, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. I think you know, you mentioned Babe, but I honestly think I think this is the kind of thing that Babe Pig in the City was trying to do and failed. And Dante really just threaded the needle there because this could have just been complete garbage, uh, but he did a really good job of making like almost a non-sequel, uh, which is just something you don't, you don't see. Um, so yeah, I give this one a thumbs up. Everybody else on Gremlins do. Haven't seen it. The only thing I know about this movie is that Leonard Malton appears in it at one point. And so it cannot be all bad because Leonard Malton is a national treasure. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it can be all bad. <laughs> I watched it a good amount as a kid and enjoyed it. I haven't seen it since then. Uh, but it was fun for little me. Kirk, your journey is very relatable. <laughs> All right. So that was your 54. So now we're going to go in everybody's bottom three. Uh, we're going to do it carousel style, starting with Scott and his number 53. Okay. So I'm curious to know, I dropped the, the teaser <laughs> in the chat today of a thing of Jiffy Pop. Does anyone know what the movie was? Because it's my number 53. Scream. It's Scream. Uh, of course, Drew Barrymore is making Jiffy Pop in the opening scene of the movie, and it explodes, and it's a great image. Um, and there are many great images in Scream, which is um, still one of the best horror movies of all time, in my opinion. Uh, I just love watching um, Wes Craven uh, unpack the the tropes like that he himself uh, was kind of like responsible for making tropes, but also like. There's just there's such a balancing act going on of the satirical stuff, like the knowing, hey, we've seen horror movies. We know what the cliches are. But also, it's a great horror movie in which all of the characters still fall into those traps, um, you know, anyway. Um, and so so like I, I think that dynamic is really fun throughout the entire movie. Like, it, again, people talk about this movie. They're like, oh, it's a really fun movie. Of course, it's really fun. And like, you know, there, it's com comedic and satirical. It's also like a pretty brutal horror movie. Like I won't lie, like the opening scene, like Drew Barrymore getting like murdered, like crawling across the yard, like right as her parents like are coming home and like seeing her there, like, you know, bleeding out on the lawn base. Like that's brutal. Uh, or I mean, I guess she's hanging there by the time they get back. But, um, you know, it's, it's pretty brutal. So, again, I think he walks the line very carefully. Um, but it's still it still holds up because horror movies are still, you know, doing some of the the same things and i think it's amazing the way that over the course of all four movies right you think that this is a premise that would just run out of time or would run out of steam after one movie but like he find, keeps finding ways in all of the sequels to like find a new angle on it but um anyway the movie is is a ton of fun still um and like the kills are very inventively staged obviously like tatum's getting crushed in the uh, garage door is is you know very memorable um, I love Nev Campbell as Sydney. She's a great final girl, like has the right like innocence about her for this type of character. Um, I think, you know, she's, she's perfect for that. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've been saying for 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 most of my life, I've been repeating the line, "I'll be right back" every time I uh, leave leave a room, like trying to say it like Matthew Lillard, because uh, you know, icon iconic scene there, um, and all the supporting characters are fun. You know, Jamie Kennedy as as Randy, you know, is is another fan favorite for a reason. Um, yeah, I mean, like this, I feel like this movie just gets talked about a lot um, because it's a favorite of a lot of people, and I totally understand why. It's a favorite of mine too, and has been for for a long time um it's just a, a great horror movie while also being a horror satire and the two things don't have to be mutually exclusive so i you know i think only wes craven maybe could have pulled it off um, but that's why he's one of the best to ever do it in the genre uh this is i remember this movie came out it's a really solid movie um in and of itself I kind of feel like we've moved past Scream, though. Like with, I think it's been like the the, the we're like post parody or post whatever Scream does with scary movie and Cab in the Woods. And I will disagree with one place. I think this franchise has absolutely run out of gas. I don't think this franchise has anything left. I was actively disgusted when I saw them release the trailer for five. This I don't think these movies have anything left to say at all. Um, especially after four. Yeah. Um, I, I did think, not like the trailer for five, but I yeah. do like all of the other movies. And I mean, honestly, like I feel like the fact um, it's not fair, but I feel like I'm holding the fact that they're still making these movies against the original. And I shouldn't do that because in and of itself, what it was, it was a pretty solid movie and a pretty solid concept. Um, Spence, I want you to go last because I'm kind of shocked you didn't like this. Everybody else uh, go on, on screen. The reason, the only reason I don't have this on my top 100 is because I am not a huge horror fan. So not many horror movies are making my list. I think this movie is amazing, though. Um, I appreciate it more the older I got. Um, I do enjoy Scream 4, um, 2 and 3 or whatever. Um, so I'm talking about all of them at once. But Scream, in general, it is a quintessential classic. Probably should be on anybody's uh, who's a horror fan top 100. Um and I'm going to do this very quickly. Uh, Final Girl, One Gotta Stay on Monday if you want to be a part of it. Nev Campbell is a part of my One Gotta Stay list for Monday. So I saw that. I was tempted. Because <laughs> Anya is also in there. So. Yes, Anya Taylor-Joy is also in it. But I'm going to shut up for my plugs. But That's cool, let me know man. if you want on. <laughs> Jake, we got to scream. Oh, yeah. I uh, love Scream. Uh, I love that uh, Scream is like uh, it's a deconstruction of slashers, but it's uh, also just a really good slasher and it has its own unique twist where there's uh, it's a very simple and elegant twist where it's just there's two of them. And uh, I love that it uses this uh, stock horror character that I hate in most slasher movies. And it's like the like funny friend who's actually just like a dick where he's just like he's just gross to women and he's just like a piece of shit. And you're supposed to be laughing at him the whole time. And then they, they weaponize this annoying character and he's they're like, the no, he's actually unhinged. And that's like a perfect, like they're using the genre in like this annoying, like minor trope that like, if you've seen enough slasher movies, you know, this guy's like a type and they're using him for like, yeah, if someone was this much of an asshole, guess what? They would end up like conspiring in this murder. That's, I think it's really smart. People don't talk about that enough. Matthew Lillard. Amazing in that movie. So... I don't know how the rest of you guys saw this and not coming out for like another three months and then we could pick future movies. Uh, <laughs> <Shut up>. <laughs> I'm so I'm mad so... that they're calling it Scream. The yeah, it's, it, that's a dumb choice. Yeah, but no, Kirk, sucks. you shouldn't have gone to me last. Cause now you get to sit with the joy 
of knowing that I prefer I, my favorite is actually Scream Four. I love the fuck out of that movie. Uh, like here's the, I'm a pretty big I'm a pretty big horror fan. That's that's been evolving over the past while. I really like this movie. I think it's great. It's, it's one it's one of it's one of the better screenplays of just the '90s in general, let alone horror screenplays. I think it's fantastic. I think it's a, it's a movie that sort of it's when you're pitched that this has changed the changed the genre and has like both like critiqued everything that it was and also is that there's so much for it to build up to. And I am nothing if not a victim of hype. This is a four star movie. Honestly, it could be a four and a half on a rewatch once I'm more like used to it. No complaints about this. Great pick. Uh, but Kirk, put the respect on Scream 4. Fucking awesome movie. <laughs> so tired. Uh, all right, Spence, what is your number 53? One of the greatest opening scenes in any movie ever. Uh, my 53, Scott, I got you. A24 representing Ex Machina. This is just, this is one of my favorite theater experiences ever. I couldn't tell you what drove me to watch or why I was just like engaged with this in the first place. Like, you know what? Let's just go. Let's drive half an hour. Let's go watch this. Why not? And I was blown away. It's this is this is. I I refer to a lot of movies in top one hundred. It's like, oh, this is the movie that broke me in this kind of way. And this one was just like, huh? Maybe I am a pretentious bitch because ever since this movie, I have like gone out of my out of my way to seek down a twenty four because it's just rocked my world it's one of my favorite sci-fi films obviously but I, I think there's more to that than just oh it's on this list i think it has a great way of telling i, I think sci-fi in general has a, has a tendency to have like this big epic stories of like world changing ramifications about the technology created well this is that it's a lot more personal and and just sort of like it, the, the smaller story i think adds to why i love it so much questioning what it means to be human and doing it through the lens of romance to without like because i think there's a way like there's a way you could tell this story very blade runner very cold for the most part and this just has an idea that this like this is like reaches into your soul and really makes you question the same way it does for caleb in that film just like am i even human am i am i going through the motions of faking human interaction i think that's brilliant and the entire cast even though it's basically three people plus uh, the fourth who never got famous, unfortunately, because she's great. But every one of them just creates one of the most indelible and perfect and intriguing sci-fi films I have ever seen. And I think this could be like the most like one of the impactful films for genre filmmakers in the for the next generation. Uh, this is a really solid pick. I like this movie a lot. Uh, I just love it is it is such a great like a twenty four style movie. It has that feel to it, um, but I love that tone. And what I like is like you're saying like it's not some like big world changing movie. In a way, it is. Like I mean, it's it's they talk about like they're basically ushering in the the end of humanity, and it's so like bone chilling because it is so personal. You know, it's almost scarier than if it was like robots out like shooting people blow like Terminator. Like it's just like these like three people trapped in this building or two people in this robot trapped in this building and like. What what's the ramification of this? What what what, what impact is going to have on the world? And uh, that that's so scary. Um, like you said, it is so personal. I think Oscar Isaac is great in this. Um, he's so scary, and, but also just so sad. And he's funny. Like the scenes with him dancing and who are you going to call? That's a great line. That's like one of my all time favorite favorite lines. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Ben Aykroyd has oral sex with the ghost. It's so great. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that's yeah it's so good and the 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 special effects are just so good like they're they're not showing that it's not showing off but the effects of like the, the of the android like the, the the robot like all the parts are so good just such a such a solid uh just solid uh effects in it too um that are just real low key and you can't like really tell but they're there and they're good uh everybody else on ex machina uh spence you said that uh you couldn't it makes you question are you even human uh, I don't think an algorithm would put Scooby-Doo two monsters unleashed on a list of the. I'm sorry, goodness. this computer has taste, Jake. <laughs> so I think you're safe. I don't think they're going to make a computer that could do that. Uh, uh, okay, I, I think this movie kind of like plays with the different genres of robots in a really fun way. Uh, like I think the movie kind of it convinced me, anyways. Oh, these this, she's like a Blade Runner robot. You know, like, oh, she's like a, it's a human rights um, um, metaphor. And you, you kind of get caught up in these genre tropes of like, is this consciousness? And I think the movie's actually pretty clear at the end that no, she's a Terminator robot who's like running every path to see like how she can unlock this dude. That's what I like about it. She's, she's like, she's just a cold, evil robot. That, that's how I actually, I love that there's multiple interpretations of the movie, but that, that is the one that I landed on ultimately. Yeah, I mean, add this to the list of movies that, like, probably look better than most Marvel movies, despite costing, like, 50 times less than those movies do. Uh, I think, like, the production design in general of, like, the house and everything is, like, very, like, inventive. Like, I don't know, it, the, the house is, like, this weird, like, puzzle almost, like, the way that it's, like, outlined. Like, you, you feel like you just get trapped in there, but... Um, it's a really good movie. I think I prefer Annihilation of Garland's work, actually. I think I do like it a little bit more. Um, like but <laughs> I've still only seen this one once, so it's possible on... Uh, and that was in theaters when it came out. So it's possible on a revisit, which I'm due, uh, that I would I would like it even more. But it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very good and very influential. I have not seen this. Rue, I think you'd like this one. You should check it out. Yeah, um, I've, I've, I've been told, and I should at some point. Tell us what is your number 53. All right, so this is the one that I never remember, whether it's you or our other old man Dread member who thinks this movie is entirely overrated. So this is the one that scares me, but I love this movie to death. It's The Fifth Element. Uh, all right. Uh, Koho, where are you? There we go. Um, Chris Tucker had the greatest run in the 90s, I tell you. Uh, but anyway, this is one of the best popcorn action sci-fi movies ever. This is the quint. This is it. This is the one where you you love all the characters. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The action is great. Um, if Chris Tucker annoys you, fine. You don't like Chris Tucker. I love Chris Tucker, and I think his play off of Bruce Willis is absolutely hilarious. It is immensely quotable. Uh, Ian Holm is silently one of the funniest dudes in this entire movie. Um, this made me think Mila Jovovich would go on to be like a really, really, really great action franchise holder. And then Resident Evil came out and I was like, oh, well, damn. Um, and the mm. last thing she had was Hellboy. Damn. Um, I, it's just, it, it is the rewatchable of most rewatchable of rewatchable films. It, it's just everything you want in an action sci-fi popcorn film. It, 
it's it's not the the masterpiece that I've heard Ex Machina is. It's just the yes, I love this. Go ahead, uh, Plava Laguna, sing your ass off while Mila Jovovich kicks the shit out of some aliens, please. And Chris Tucker, commercial, commercial. I love this film. It's so it's so great. Uh, I honestly don't know how Brian feels about this movie, uh, but I'm not a big fan. Okay, uh, yes, it's it's one. it's a movie I want. To, this is a movie I look at it and I see the trailer, I see what's about, I see, and I want to love it because this is such a, a me movie. When they take like an old like concept, like an old sci-fi kind of just uh, idea, and they take it, and they turn it into something else. And it never quite gets that. I think that's what they're trying to do. Like with, they're trying to do like what Spielberg did with the old serials, Indiana Jones, or what Lucas did with the old, you know, with Star Wars, or what you know Guillermo del Toro does with all the stuff he does. And it never quite gets there. It never ele- elevates beyond that thing. Like I, I love the look of it. I just love the idea of it, but it just never connects with me. Um, and I, 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 when I, when Valerian and the 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 City of a Thousand Planets came out, I was like. Maybe he got it. He's had like 20 years. Maybe he's got there. And no, he did not. He did not. This is so much this is so much better than that one. Um, but yeah, it just I want this to be a great movie, and it's just not for me. Um, everybody else on Fifth Element. I've never been able to get into this one either, really. Like, I think it's just like a bit overstylized for me. Like, I feel like that's how Luke Besson's movies are fairly often. It's just like hyperactive there's a lot going on i get a little bit exhausted of like the world even though it is like very imaginatively designed and you know the characters are all larger than life it's just like a lot so it's not it's not bad it's just um not something that i could watch like every day uh i feel like this like might count as like self-harm but uh, I really like Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. I like this movie a lot, too. I like all the uh, Luc Besson stuff. Like, I love Lucy. I've seen Lucy, like, eight times. <laughs> it's stupid. Weird movie. I know, it's, I know he's, like, garbage, but it's, like, delicious garbage. Like, and, uh, yeah, I love The Fifth Element. Bruce, Bruce Willis, uh, maybe at his hottest, honestly. That's what I have to say. <laughs> With the blonde hair and the the taxi man, the future taxi man, it's great. Who's hotter, him or Gary Oldman in this film? Oh, probably Chris Tucker. <laughs> hey, this is the third Chris Tucker movie you have. <laughs> greatest run in the '90s. I'm telling you. <laughs> All right, Jay, uh, you, oh, especially you didn't go yet. Sorry, uh, I I haven't seen it, but I like Valerian. It's fun. It's not oh, good, but it's fun. Is it? Uh. Yeah. Jake, what's your 53? Uh, at 53, I have a movie that uh, I might be the least divisive movie of all time, I hope. Uh, Ponyo. Uh, <laughs> Miyazaki's Ponyo. <laughs> um, yeah, Ponyo, it's uh, like, I, I feel like a lot of people consider this like minor Miyazaki or, or whatever, or it's, it seems to get buried in his uh, amazing filmography. But uh, this is just the one that sparks joy for me. Like I, when I like feel sick, I'll have like soup and put on Ponyo. It it's just, uh, it's so innocent and beautiful, and uh, it's just these two little kids just getting along, and the water, the animation is so stunning. 
Yeah, I mean, Spirited Away is one that I also considered. I, I had a Miyazaki spot, but uh, personally, this is the one that's just like a delicious comfort food uh, for me. This was the first Ghibli movie I saw uh, because this was the first one my kids discovered. So this is a movie I watched a lot at a certain point in my life. Um, it's not bad. Like I'm not the biggest Ghibli guy in the world and I'm not the guy to get asked opinions on, uh, because I hear like a lot of people say, and this isn't me talking, Jake, this is just what I've read. This is like one of the lower tier ones. Um, but like the story's fun. Um, my biggest problem, this movie suffers from it a lot with Miyazaki animation in general is how nothing ever has a definitive shape. Like how things are just constantly like different and some people might like that i just I'm, I'm not a fan of that animation style um but i like it because it does have a plot it has good characters unlike you know like my neighbor totoro which is kind of the same thing like you said like it's a comfort movie but this movie just has something actually a plot and something happening and something going on and a point um so i like it a little better um but like i said I, it, personally it has a like a a, a sentimental uh spot for me because my kids love it so much uh, it's still their favorite uh we've we, we've watched like we've gone through almost all the ghibli movies now uh because they've been on hbo max but this is still their favorite so um like i said i'm, I'm a little biased but everybody else i'm upon you i haven't seen it i wouldn't like it this is one of only like two or three miyazakis that i haven't seen yet i did watch you know i did go through a lot of them last year as well um on when they were on hbo max and obviously kiki's was on my list earlier but um yeah i just i just missed this one but i have a friend who like it's like their favorite uh you know miyazaki movie so i do need to watch it i'm sure i would like it I, there hasn't been one that i haven't liked thus far keep it moving i don't really watch ghibli films that much all right scott number 52 put it in ig christian um <laughs> My number fifty. My number fifty-two <laughs> is uh, the Billy Wilder uh, classic, "Witness for the Prosecution." Uh, yeah, this is a <laughs> this is a, this is a banger. Uh, this is uh, you know I talked about with like one floor of the cuckoo's nest with like um, twelve angry men. Like I guess cuckoo's nest doesn't quite qualify, but this is like in that category of like most accessible classic movies i feel like like you could put this on today and it is as entertaining as any contemporary film um the just dramatic fire in this movie that you know is adapted from agatha christie's play um is just there from beginning to end charles lawton is in just giving an all-time performance in this movie like as the grouchy like um kind of like a feminine in a way like attorney uh you know sir wilfred um who you know doesn't really want to take on this murder case but then kind of gets wrapped up in it tyrone power is great as like the the guy who is set up as the patsy he's like the perfect defendant in a way uh from the from the very beginning and then you know you have marlene dietrich um as his wife who is like the perfect sort of steely counterpoint to that um and it's just a, an electric courtroom drama. Like it, it shows the best of what a court, what courtroom dramas can do when they just have like that um, electricity, the fireworks that come from just like great dialogue um, and that confrontation between two people. Um, 
I coach, uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but I coach a mock trial team at w- over at Wake Forest, close to where I live in North Carolina. I coach their mock trial teams and I will show them this, uh, the scene where he crosses the old lady who is like deaf, um, who can't, who can't hear really well. Um, and the way that he like uses that in his cross is like so clever. And I, so I'll show them that scene um, as like a way to do a good cross examination. It has like an amazing twist ending, which I won't say anything about because probably somebody here hasn't seen it. Uh, but like it was, it's so great that um, that they even have like a disclaimer at the end, like of the movie on the screen, like do not tell your friends and neighbors about the ending to witness for the prosecution. Like, um, and you know, 70 years later, whatever, like there's still, you know, the, t- the twist has remained hidden for a lot of people, but even after, you know, the twist, it's still a great movie to go back and watch and see how they did it all. Um, which I think is the sign of a, a great plot twist. And, um, it's just a, a thoroughly entertaining movie made by, uh, a master filmmaker. I mean, look, I am kind of in the Zach Ford camp of like, hey, there are other classic directors than Billy Wilder, but um, there's no denying that he made, um, you know, some of some of the greatest classic films. And this is one, obviously, for me personally, like um, this was like one of the first classic films that I discovered. I like taped it off of Turner Classic Movies. I watched it like all the time on DVD. Um, so this is one that has been one of my favorites for, you know, as long as any movie on this list. And, you know, I'm happy to say that it, even after my most recent watch, like a few months back, like it's still one of my favorites. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, harken back to what you're saying to being there. That's what I love about Billy Wilder is um, the guy's basically making movies that belong in the 70s or 80s back in the 50s. Like his movies mm-hmm. have such like a modern sensibility. This movie definitely does. And um, just the way it, we like, weaves in and out of like drama and humor and just balances all that um it's 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 really solid this is i didn't rewatch it a couple times it's not my like top three for wilder but it's i definitely respect it is what it does and again i don't know how much is him and how much i have no knowledge of like the original agatha christie story so i don't know how much like credit he gets for the story or whatever happens in it um but it's a really solid film that ending's great uh everybody else on witness with prosecution I mean, you didn't pick the best uh, Billy Wilder film, The Apartment, but <laughs> this is this is pretty good. Uh, I don't know why I'm saying. That. Actually, I haven't seen it. I really want to see it. I feel like I really love it. I've had a lot of people recommend it to me, but nice that you picked Wilder. I'm over here reacting to the Knicks game, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, I just don't think I love the law as much as you, Scott. I don't know. <laughs> I think I, well, I disagree with the law. Well, there's a reason that I, I do what I do. So. Uh, no, yeah, I got to see this one. Billy Wilder, he makes good movies. So, All right, uh, Spence, you're number 52. The coldest take in this community, Billy Wilder is a good director. Uh, <laughs> my 52, I think we've seen it. Uh, Coho, don't listen to what I'm about to say. My 52 is about time. And I had this earlier, yeah this uh, i forgot who was making fun of me earlier in the chat i was saying perfect movie this is a perfect movie uh i i think this is this is an incredible example of a film that on paper should not work it's sort of creepy the timeline is weird and it's super savvy but it's fucking great this is i i i think there's a tendency for a lot of great films we tend to look for pessimism and like oh it tells like a real a real gritty story about how bad humanity really is now we, and how we need, to be, need to be better people. 
And this is just like a counterexample of that. How no matter how shitty someone's life could be and how and all, and all the shit that they go through, you could just be a better person or see or see, see the joy in life. I I I don't think this does that. And you just, you give this character immense cosmic power, and you have him just focus on not just changing the world, but about but about making himself happy. And even even at the end of it all, realizing that it's not all about changing the world about changing your perception of the world and the Rachel McAdams is a queen and seeing their their romance develop is incredible but also their relationship with the father is heartbreaking uh as someone whose dad is still alive I, it's not gonna hit me quite as hard yet but I have a lot of friends who've lost their parents and just that final scene breaks them so I'm not looking forward to whenever that breaks me but there's so much joy and beauty in here that it's hard not to just fall in love with every time you watch it. And I also have this, I think, in like my 80s. Yeah, I mean, the movie has a giant heart. Like I, I Richard Curtis speaks to that romantic in me, at least. Um, I always think about, too, like with Rachel McAdams. First of all, it's the classic, classic thing where they like give her like uh bangs and glasses and like you know kind of basic clothes and they try to make her look like you know basic or whatever and like i'm you're like it's rachel mcadams come on like i i would i just think about that moment right because they have their first meeting and they're like in the dark the whole time in that restaurant and he so he can't actually see her but like they clearly have a connection or whatever and then they walk outside and it's like oh he's gonna see her for the first time and then like rachel mcadams walks out just imagine how you would feel in that moment if like you know, that was the person that you just had the connection with. It would just be like the best, like, hell yeah moment ever. But anyway, the movie's great. And yeah, like if it were just the romance, it would be good. But like adding the family stuff in there is what takes it to the next level because it's, and it's not just even just him and the dad, it's all of the family members, right? Like the way that they portray like, his sister Kit Kat and who's like kind of all over the place and uncle Desmond, right. Who is like, you know, he's, he's slower than everyone else. Um, but there's like so much tend like there, there's so much of a temptation to just like use them for cheap jokes. And the movie goes in the complete opposite direction. And they're just like, so such lovely characters. Like the movie has again, such affection and love for all of these characters. And so we do too. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just such a nice warm hug of a movie. Um, I heard people talk about it for a long time as being great and like i saw the you know i always knew about like the reviews from when it came out which are just like very middling after watching it i have no idea what movie those people were watching because this is just you know an absolute delight like i can't imagine like this is one of the few movies in this community that i feel like everyone who has watched this movie in the community loves it like i don't think there's any haters out there for it it's oh, that good cool. I, I was like one, yeah. one more thing before i go to kirk i think maybe, maybe my favorite part about this film is Margot Robbie, and not just her in it, but her existence in the story, of how she's there to sort of show him the loops of just like how time travel first really works. Now you can't always change people's perception, and at the end of just like when she comes back and really offers herself to him, it's like, hey, you, we could do this, and that makes him realize how much he loved Rachel McAdams, of like this this woman who I pined for and spent so much time trying to conquer. Really, when she's finally there, he's like, no, I have found true love, which is just beautiful love it yeah this might surprise some people but i love this movie this movie <laughs> is so good um i want again like scott like it's something i heard people talk about like hype up forever and uh you know 
Kathy and I always have trouble finding movies that we both sit down and want to watch together. So I was like, oh, let's watch this one. This is, I think it's on Netflix. Let's watch this one. And, you know, you'll probably like it. And I, who knows half about it. But we both loved it. For us both feel the same amount of positivity towards the movie is incredibly rare. That's 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 a magic trick. And um, that's what this movie pulls off. Um, yeah, the, the characters in this movie, the, the relationship is, it's like a rom-com relationship. It's still real. The characters feel real. You care about them. Uh, they're just so charming together and you love their relationship so see together the family i think that's like a hallmark of richard curtis movies even like there are movies that his i really don't like his like there's always like such a focus and such a love for the supporting characters and the supporting characters in this movie are so fantastic i'm sorry but it looks like something bad happened with the knicks um but uh this uh like the family, like you said about like how the sisters kind of a screw up and the uncle has some problems. They're kind of a broken family, but they're just like they found their place in the world together. And that's so beautiful. Like you just want to be a part of that family. You just want that so much. And um, Bill Nighy is just amazing in this. I love him so much. Just like that dad. Like you see the kind of person he is at the beginning and you realize as you go through the movie, like the the perspective that time travel has given him on life and it's kind of turned him in that person and you see his son becoming that and that relationship is just so beautiful and the friends tom hollander is so good this i love him so much oh yeah um and just that 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 scene at the end i said this in my letterbox when he makes that over this back shot in the garbage can and he has that like that one moment of victory is so 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 great so satisfying Everything about this movie is great. Uh, I, I love, like I said, I'm not a Richard Curtis guy. I'm not a rom-com guy, but this movie grabs me. I love it so much. Uh, Rue and Jake, you did not have this on your list. Uh, tell me why. Uh, so about time hurts me as much as the Knicks taking in the <laughs> overtime on the last minute three after Jalen Brown hit from the low. Oh, gosh. I've seen this movie once and it left a huge impression on me. It is, it is, uh, I just remember how much I connected with that film and how beautiful and painful and great the movie is. Um, I have to rewatch it again just because I remember loving it when I saw it. Here. Oh, you're muted. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I had to, um, yeah, I haven't seen this one. I, I, I had to tune out a little bit so that, uh, I wouldn't spoil this. Cause I do want to see it. I've heard. So once you started being so positive on it, I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. That takes us to ruse number 52. All right. Uh, we're heading back, uh, to one of my favorite franchises ever. And that is oceans 13. Um, for those who didn't like Ocean's 12, this is a back to form, uh, back to what you loved about the original movie. Um, a, just a great heist film, a great ensemble film. Um, uh, I think so many more of the characters get a lot more to do overall. And that's hard with such a stacked cast. Um, but it's, it's just another great fun ride. And it, it, it also boils down to Al Pacino does an amazing job uh, being the antagonist in this film and every little trick and twist and turn that they, uh, that they, they, they take you along for is something you, again, you just love to watch uh, and you love to, to, to root for them, especially um, I love Elliot Gould's character. Um, I, I just, the, the, the fact that you want to root him on and bring him back 
as the 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 heart of the film is 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 really fun. Uh, and and it's just again, Oceans is, is one of my favorites, and it it's it's just a beautiful thing to watch unfold. Um, and I I I thoroughly enjoy it. This was another one, Rue. I wanted to love it. I wanted to. Um, like I said, the first one's grown on me. I didn't like the second one. This one, it's got El Pacino. You said to me, hey, I got this like slick crime heist movie and Brad Pitt's in it. I should be on board. You had El Pacino, Taylor made for me. But this one just didn't do it. I, I don't know what it was. I think it was the stakes are so low. It's like, from what I can tell, Elliot Gold has a feigning spell. So all of a sudden, everybody's like furious and they want to get revenge. So the revenge is to stop El Pacino from winning an award. Um, it just it, like my other problem is too, like so much of this was like inelegant. Like the first two movies, at least like it, it's kind of slick. Everything they do. This one's like, oh, how are we going to solve the uh, earthquake? We're going to cause an earthquake. And then like just at the end when they steal the thing and they just suck it right out. And you don't even know like that usually in the movies, like it's like, oh, here's like how everything. Just know they just steal the whole thing. And and like the and the guy from the first second the the, uh, the French dude comes in from the second movie and like the, that movie he was like all cool and doing like all more shorts. This time he just pulls a gun, he just has a gun, and um, yeah, it just seemed like and there's just so many like what I hate about this franchise, just so many in jokes and so inside baseball. It's like oh hey look it's cool because it's George Clooney and uh, um I wasn't a fan of it. I wanted to be, I wanted to love it, I wanted to be great, and I just didn't think it was. Everybody else on Ocean's 13. Yeah, it sucks that Tess isn't in this one. Like, I feel like if you couldn't get Julia Roberts back for uh, another Ocean's movie, you probably just shouldn't do it. She's uh, pretty important to the chemistry, I think. It's just kind of trying to replay uh, the first Ocean's movie, in my opinion. I don't think it's offensive. It's just my least favorite Ocean's movie. It's my second favorite Ocean's film. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh I need to re-binge the whole series because I don't have like super clear opinions about them. But when I watched it like a year and a half ago, I really liked it. Yeah, I think it's my second favorite as well. But the only one I really watch all that much is the first one. So, um, you know, I, I do I do remember liking it, but it's been a long time. Um, and it just uh, it doesn't I don't know. It doesn't have the rewatch value in the same way that the first one does for me because I have watched that one quite a few times. All right, Jake, what is your number 52? At 52, I have Blowout. Okay, yeah, the uh, I love Brian De Palma movies, and uh, I love Brian De Palma movies that are made in the Brian De Palma genre of movie. That's like this weird kind of salacious uh, thriller thing, sexual thriller. And uh, to me, the thing that I always enjoy more about uh, Brian De Palma, I enjoy his technician side more than I enjoy his pervert side. And I would say this movie airs so much closer to the technician side of De Palma's brain to the point where they're literally uh, putting sound and image together and basically showing you how a film is made in the middle of this movie. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just love this thing. Uh, it's very meta for the time, too. The fact that they were lampooning slashers in the opening with the tracking shot in 1981, only like a year after uh, Friday the 13th Part 1 comes out. They're already making fun of it. It must have been so fucking crazy hip at the time. And uh, yeah, blood. Yeah, I've, this is a movie I've been wanting to watch for a long time. Finally got to watch it for the show. 
Um, yeah, I really liked it. Um, this is the Palma at like his most Hitchcocky, and um, just it's just such a great looking movie. Like so many cool shots. Like that th- that shot where when he realizes all the tapes are erased, they're doing that 360 around the room and like just him, you keep getting like his reaction. Um, that fireworks at the end. Um, so many, cool, oh, just yeah. like those, like those tracking shots. So many, so many cool, uh, looks. I, I like the, I like the story. Like I like the, I, I, I'll say gimmick, but I don't mean it like in a bad way, but just like that idea of using sound, uh, to put together like the crime, like using the clues of sound, and developing that, like how he, he makes that into like a, a movie, and just that that technical aspect, I thought I thought was really cool. Um, only downsides for this movie for me, I thought the score was a little wonky. There was at certain parts, like the, the the score didn't like fit what was happening, and the choice at the end really left me with a bad taste in my mouth. From a <laughs> from from a from a story standpoint, uh, I won't ruin it for anybody. From a story standpoint, it was interesting, but from a character standpoint, I was like, oh, that's kind of gross. Um, yeah. So that 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 was that was my biggest issue with it. But otherwise, I really liked. It. I think Travolta's great in it. Um, uh, Na- Nancy Allen is doing like that kind of like old style, like forties or fifties, like Hitchcock blonde kind of character, and uh, it actually works. Like it, it took me a while to get it, like the voice and the accent she was doing. It took me a second to get into, uh, but I think the character works. Um, so yeah, John Lithgow is kind of terrifying. Uh, so yeah, um, really good pick, solid movie. I'm glad you gave me the chance to watch it. Uh, everybody else on blowout. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame Nancy Allen didn't become a bigger deal because, like, in this and Dress to Kill, like, she's fantastic in both of the movies. But um, yeah, no, I I think this movie's fantastic. If if I had seen it more than once, uh, it probably would be, possibly be in my top one hundred because I love De Palma too, and I I agree that um, I do like this kind of his Hitchcock pastiche more than I like, like the body double, for example, like, cause that, that's definitely where, you know, he, he urged, you know, verges on the sleazy side. Although I still think the movie is really well made, but um, yeah, the ending, like all the fireworks and in front of the American flag, all that stuff is amazing. And like, you know, when a character in a De Palma movie enters a train station, you know, some awesome <laughs> stuff is about to happen uh, because multiple movies in which uh in which he shoots great train station scenes and also i just love that dennis franz is like always is like in like all of his his early like 80s movie like hitchcockian movies and he's always just like a complete sleazeball like in all of them he's perfect it's perfect it's perfect casting honestly for dennis franz but yeah blowout is is awesome people should watch it for sure we're respect you guys seen this nope Okay, then uh, that takes us to Scott's number 51. All right, closing it out for me, my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film, uh, Boogie Nights. One of the most well-paced movies ever. Like, this is a two and a half hour movie, and it feels like it's over in like 10 minutes. Um, Like, it's just, you're just, you just get sucked into this world immediately. And that's what he does so well in the movie, like, ridiculous as as everyone says ridiculous that he made this at age 27 a movie that feels just like so unbelievably vibrant and alive and like you're just right there in the world from the very beginning um it's a great sort of like a star is born style story right of um eddie slash dirk who you know ascends to to fame in the the porn industry and then you know, spirals into you know depression and drugs and all the you know type of stuff that we see but i think you know what makes the the movie so great 
you know, despite the familiarity of certain story elements maybe is, I mean, number one, again, Anderson as a stylist, like the way that he creates the whole world, the editing and everything, the needle drops, all of that is just like perfectly, um, perfectly pitched. Um, and also though, all supporting story, like all the other characters are given like their own little narratives, like, and they're, they're, they're all really well fleshed out. You know, you have Don Cheadle as like the guy who wants to open the, the car dealership or whatever, I think is, is, is it the car dealership or is it like a stereo store? It's one of them. Stereo I always store. mix it up. Yeah. It's stereo store. But, um, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman is like the boom mic operator. who's like in love with, with Dirk Diggler. You have, um, William H. Macy as the guy whose wife is just like constantly sleeping with other men right in front of him. Um, and it has like, you know, it has very funny mo moments. It's a very funny movie too, but it's not afraid to go from funny to dark like that. Like the William H. Macy storyline, you know, is a great example of like in the drop of a hat, like it goes from, you know, absurd to, oh, wow, that just escalated really quickly. Um, I think it kind of just shows again in, in the same moment, like the appeal of Hollywood and the, the dark side um, all in, you know, sometimes in the same scene um, and, you know, the like thrillerish stuff that happens in the back half of the movie, like is so tense, like that whole scene in Alfred Molina's house, you know, with him as the drug dealer and playing Jesse's girl. Like, I can never listen to Jesse's Girl the same way again after watching Boogie Nights because it just the song takes on a whole new vibe after you've you know seen how sort of scary it is in the context of this scene and how unpredictable that character is and um, you know the danger that all the characters find themselves in. It, it's it's an amazingly confident, vibrant, alive movie for a 27 year old filmmaker. You know, for any filmmaker, let alone a 27-year-old filmmaker. I still don't think he's topped it, although, I mean, like, I don't think he's made a bad film either. Like, I, he's one of, he's still one of our best working. Um, but I don't know. This is the one that just, for me, I, the most, it has the most vibes of his, of uh, all of his movies. And that's what I connect with. No, I definitely agree with you. This is still his favorite of mine. Um, I don't think he's done, I mean, um, he's hit or miss for me. I don't. There's stuff he's done I really don't like. Most of it I enjoy, uh, but nothing to level this. Uh, yeah, the tone of this movie is so perfect. Uh, I love all the characters, just their sincerity. Like you, like the movie shows you how vapid everything is and how kind of like just fleeting. Uh, but all these characters are so sincere in what they're doing. Like Don Chi, I love Don Chi's character this so much. Like he's just so desperate to get that stereo store, and he's like, it's, it's such a reality to him. And then just like with the two of them are like trying to get their music career go off the ground. And like, uh, it's it just and Burt Reynolds is just his his passion. Yeah, I can't believe and I didn't it, mention him. Yeah, Burt Reynolds is so good. Like, just just desire he has like be an actual filmmaker. And he thinks like this is like real art. And um, it's yeah, the the world it, it just creates such an interesting world uh, to exist in for a little bit. It's almost like a like a Scorsese or a Tarantino where they create that crime world. Totally. It's like it's not a world that you would want to exist in in real life. But it's great to just get that, like that keyhole peek into it, like get to watch it for a little bit. Um, yeah, this is this is great. I I really like this movie. Everybody else on Boogie Nights. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that Mark Wahlberg in this movie kind of has that uh, January Jones effect, where it's like ah, they're just like so like January Jones and Mad Men, where a lot of people uh, thought that she was very wooden, but it it perfectly suits the character that she's playing, which is like a broken Stepford wife. Uh, and I think Mark Wahlberg has the same thing in this where like, I don't think Mark Wahlberg knows 
how he's being used in this movie always to the movie's benefit. I think he is playing a dumber character than he knows he's playing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's what really works about it, though. It's his best performance to date. Like, I, I yeah. And I like Mark Wahlberg as an actor. <laughs> this is one of the biggest blind spots of my movie watching. I have not seen this film. As the resident uh, biggest PTA fan here, uh, I, I need to rewatch it. I didn't love it the first time. Probably like it more this time. PTA is still a hack, though. All right, Spence. Let's what not is explore your, that any further. What is your number 51? Uh, my 51. The movie only slightly better than Me Before You, according to Jack Pinchuk, Moonlight. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is... Oh, wow, no one had it. Yeah, uh, this is incredible. Maybe one of the, uh, honestly, maybe one of the best films. Actually, I, th- I, think, I, think, I think I did argue like this is the best film of the 2010s. Uh, best versus favorite is obviously why we're here, because I'm not Andrew Barr. He's a little bit lower than other films I have above it that also came out the same decade. But this is just an incredible piece of art. Uh, I will always connect things to my queer identity on this show because it gets me, it, uh, I feel like I can explain things better. This is just like a, a beautiful, beautiful film telling a story that I don't think I, I would ever find myself in and ask as a story that I didn't think I would ever be ever be told on film. And it's just beautiful. I think Barry Jenkins is one of the most promising filmmakers working today because he's still relatively new, even though he's only made like three movies, I think. And just this is such an incredible piece of art. I feel like times we can use film as just like a film as a medium and that's it. But this is truly art. Everything come, comes together to tell both like a unique and worldly story. It has one, it's, it's one of my favorite structured stories ever as well, because all three of the actors are very different people. They don't look very similar at all, but you can still tell it's one like unique whole person they, and they each bring something different to it. And again, I'll shout out my fucking man, Nicholas Bertel, creating one of the best scores of the decade. I love this film to pieces. I've had every rewatch gets better and better and better. I don't get how someone can't like this movie. No, uh, this is a really good movie. Uh, I think it deserves its Oscar win. Uh, what's beautiful about this movie to me is I think it's about a very specific person and a very specific experience. Uh, but I also think there's a universality to that story uh, that I think it's very relatable, you know, no matter who you are. Um, you know, I find myself, especially the older version, um, and I think that's the best performance in the movies. I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy who plays the the, the adult version. Trevante Rhodes. Yeah, yeah I think that. I think he should have been best supporting actor. I think he is amazing in what he does with that character, where he, where he takes that after the the first two acts, and where he's at, and wh- what he is, and what he, it's it's just such such an amazing performance. And um, I connect with that performance, so especially the, the scenes with his mother and everything, and dealing with that. Um, and I think that's the best stories. I think where you, it's, 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 it represents a very specific person, but also it's something that it's relatable, like to anybody. And I think that's what this movie is. I think that's so much of its, of, of its appeal. Um, the rest of the cast is great too. The, 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 the two younger versions also fantastic. Um, Mahershala, obviously very good. Um, yeah, up and down, just a really, really great movie. Great cast. The score is fantastic. Uh, it looks great. It's shot great. Um, yeah. Everybody else on Moonlight. This movie is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. Um, Jerome Jerome and Janelle Monet are two 
uh, actors and actresses who don't get much love in this film, but they are both. Uh, well, after you've seen Gerard Jerome and, and um, when they see us, you understand how good he actually is. But Janelle Monet doesn't get that much love uh, in the small role she gets alongside Mahershala. Um, and uh, uh, Spence talked about their queer identity. The fact that they did this with probably a demographic that has the most complicated and aggressive relationship to uh, homosexuality and black men to allow a black man to go through that is also something that is just makes it that much more beautiful and haunting at the same time. Uh, it's, it's something I never expected to see in my lifetime. Um, but it, I think is extremely important for multiple communities. Um, and it is, it's, it's just, uh, I think a must watch for just about everybody. Yeah, I can't disagree. I mean, th this is one of those movies, though, that fall for me just falls into like the best must see essential. Yes, absolutely. Favorite. I think I said it before when Spence talked about it. Beale Street. I think I, I, Beale, if Beale Street could talk is more uh, is, you know, personally for me, more my favorite than Moonlight is. Um, but like, I'm not going to sit here and rag on them. Like, it's Moonlight. Like, there's there's really not much bad you can say about the quality of the the filmmaking again i agree with kirk that i do think it has a universality about it and i again kind of like i was saying with dope i love that it like opens up this world that i would otherwise not super um be familiar with but there's just maybe like a slight emotional distance there because of that which keeps it from um being at the top of my favorites list but it's an impeccable film and yeah barry barry jenkins has already in just three movies like his style is so recognizable. Like, you know, when you're watching a Barry Jenkins movie. Yeah. I, I love that this uh, movie is like, like, I think this movie's a masterpiece and uh, it's an icon. Like this movie's like an icon now. Like when you even first saw Mahershala Ali in that role, you were just like, yep, this is an iconic role. Like just instantly. And like, and like you never forget about it. He's only in the start of the movie and like, you never forget about him in that movie. It's just like, yeah, it's fantastic. I'm glad someone included on the list. I'm expecting at least two people. Uh, so I was like, ah, someone. <laughs> Three great films in a Lion King prequel. Iconic director. Yeah. All right. Uh, Rue, Ru, what is your number 51? Uh, this is the one I, I made sure to watch again before coming up. Um, and it was a yikes from earlier from, from a previous episode. It's Arrival. Um, this movie is just amazing. Um, I'll start off by saying I looked up the, the Oscar nominations for, uh, best actress and, and that was a stacked year, but it still made me sad that Amy Adams was not, uh, nominated. Uh, I think she is, is, is just breathtaking in this film. Um, what, what it's hard to explain, but the, you know, it's a sci-fi movie coming in. But as you're watching it, it does not feel like a sci-fi movie. It feels grounded and real, and you kind of forget how how much of a sci-fi film it is. It is meticulous as hell, and it takes its time, but it 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 doesn't feel slow because it makes it feel like this was like you're waiting day by day by day. The feeling you would have in real life, waiting for the news to tell you what's going on if something like that happened. That kind of like excitement or nervousness uh uh the your heart pounds as meticulous and slow as it goes 
And because it's so grounded and it, it talks about things that, that are really not talked about in films, how important language is um, and how important, uh, well, science a little bit more, but just the, the, how much that's a part of foundations of civilizations. And then, then you, you, it does so well in making you not realize that you're also in a time travel film until it gets to a certain point and you're like, oh, oh shit, that was okay. And the, the, the pieces start clicking together about what the, the aliens are kind of there for, but you're still trying to figure out the total picture and the, the layers of how much of a sci-fi film this actually is, it, it tricks you into thinking it's not one. And it just, it, it becomes so real. Um, I, I heard the comparison, which weirdly connects is that it, it's kind of like Memento in a way, because you're looking at, it's like the, the, the daughter's name is Hannah. It's a palindrome. Time is circular. You're, it's the same forward and backward and everything is meeting at the middle. Um, I just think it's, it's, it's an amazing film. And the fact that like Forrest Whitaker is kind of just a side note in this shows how great this film is. Cause yeah, you, you, it's, it's, he's just, he's there and he's great, but everybody's great. Um, and I'll say the, the, the ending with Zima and, and Amy Adams, when you're going through how she talks to him and calls him is just one of the most like fist pumpy films I've ever had watching a movie. Just like hell fucking yes. So good. And so beautiful. I, I love this film. And I had it also, uh, I think number 80, maybe. Um, yeah, it's my favorite Villeneuve film, uh, for starters. I think I agree with Rue that like the reason it feels so different from sci-fi movies is because so many sci-fi movies are like man versus alien. Right. And this is like, no, we're actually trying to understand the aliens. We're trying to understand the other. It is, you know, on a more general level, it is a movie about like connecting with the other understanding the other and not to get too political but like a lot of people um you know talk about how this movie came out like right after trump got elected and it was just like a very comforting movie because it's about you know in, in a in a way like the whole mo the whole world coming together like uniting to try to solve this problem not with violence or hate but with like Hey, like open-heartedness, understanding, kindness. Like we want to understand these creatures. Uh, I think that's you know a beautiful sentiment. <laughs> and you know, Sorry. speaking of beautiful, <laughs> speaking of beautiful, like the very the very ending of the movie, the monologue that Amy Adams has, like the voiceover with that Max Richter piece, the on the nature of daylight piece of music. Like, oh man, if that doesn't get you emotional, like. I don't, I don't know what you're like watching movies for. Cause it's just, it, it is a true, uh, beautiful movie, movie moment. And it's just, it's a weirdly comforting film overall, but I think Villeneuve does a great job of finding the human heart at the, the center of this whole, you know, high sci-fi story. So it's, it's an amazing film. This is, this is also on my list. This sort of blew me away the first time I saw it. It was the first time I considered getting into film journalism even because I wrote this big, long review about how incredible it is. And, I, and even today, I still think it, like, it could have revolutionized storytelling in film. And I don't think it's quite had that effect, but I think it's, I think it's still created one of... I think uh, sci-fi and horror... Well, this is quite a horror film. It sort of goes to it as well. Tend to reflect our modern-day anxieties and thoughts about the universe. 
And I think what Scott said is true. Like what, where, where, where the world was at during this time, how important language is and reaching out and talking to people who you don't quite understand, but working together to find a greater understanding of the universe. And I think that works so incredibly here. The fact, I will say the fact that you can make Jeremy, or Jeremy Renner a lead and it's still a great film blows me away. Uh, I'll, I'll agree with Eames in the chat. Don't talk about my man like that. Don't you? I'll call Kanye the word. Eames is right. If you said this was uh, Den- uh, Denise's best film, I wouldn't. I wouldn't argue. Or I might argue with you, but I would understand. This is a masterpiece. Yeah, I. You didn't have this, did you, Jake? No. Okay. Um, I. Yeah, I. First of all, the thing I love about this movie is how it's uh, just that tone, and and Rue talked about this a little bit, where it's like. It's just a very much boots on the ground type of like, what if this actually happened? There's no fanfare. There's no spectacle. It's just like, you know, it, it's a rate. I, I think even I said something like it's, it's just a rainy Tuesday and you turn the news on and you see this. And what's that look like in real life? That's exactly captures that so well. Like, you know, like just like a, a, a disaster or some world event that you're just, you know, sitting around watching those scenes where they're in the, in the college and everybody's just looking is just such such the reality of how this would work. Um the other thing I love about is, and you guys all talked about this, the way it explores language and communication and how it works and just what a minefield it is and how you get that across. I just love like the idea of how they talk about like one group is using uh, a game, using backgammon as communication and how using a game just completely changes the way you communicate as the way they're doing it. You hear it's real quick, but if you listen, like they'll, they'll, the, the main group, the American group that we're following will have a conversation and they get, they translate something. And then you hear one of the other countries on the screen kind of translate it the same, but it's a little different and that changes how they view it. And I just love that detail. I love that attention to, again, going back to like, like we said about blow how that explores like through sound, like the way this uses language as, uh, you know, like, and again, it's like that language is the first weapon drawn in a conflict. And, um, how that's kind of like what's going on here. Uh, and I, I just really enjoy that. I, I To the point where I don't like where it takes the, the time, time travel aspect because to me that takes away from what it was doing with language. I know that's what the language ultimately was about, um, but I feel like I, I, I was so uh, connected to that that, that language storyline that I wish it could have would just went full circle with that. Um, but Jake, you were the only. Otherwise, I love this movie. I, I, this is my second viewing. Didn't really get it on the first viewing. Got a lot more here, and I'm sure I will more. In, uh, you know, su- uh, successive viewings. Jake, you're the only one who didn't have it. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. Okay. I uh, didn't realize that this movie was a masterpiece until the second time I saw it, which was like a few months ago. I saw it in theaters originally. And I thought it was like really good. And then the second time I saw it, I was like, oh, you could almost peg this as a flaw on the movie that it only really works the second time in a way where like once you get the emotions of what's going on it's all the way that it's out of order it doesn't give you an emotional catharsis and then when you watch it the second time and you actually know what's happening it it's a better movie the second time i think so i don't blame you if you only saw it once and we're like yeah it was really good but you know no i agree it definitely took me twice i agree uh all right Uh, and i think it's built to be that kind of movie uh jake take us home with your number 51 uh, I have The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover by Peter Greenaway. Uh, so this is a, a weird-ass movie uh, again. Um, 
if yeah it's uh michael gambin basically plays like this uh criminal who um he is the thief in the title uh there's a cook in his restaurant the main set is a giant restaurant in britain and it's all like red inside and there's three separate sets and the camera keeps panning over between each one and every time they pass between sets their costumes change and it's like this whole elaborate stylistic thing uh yeah, I if you haven't seen this, I don't know how to pitch you on this. I guess it's like uh, somewhere between a Clockwork Orange and like the TV show Hannibal. And uh, yeah, you, if you want to see Michael Gambon as like a Tony Soprano esque gangster who like makes people eat dog shit and like literally like beats them to an inch of their life and pisses on them, like it's a it's an intense thing. He's very uh, scary in this movie. Very Bond villain like. But like on crack or something. It's it's a dark film, but uh, it has Helen Mirren in it as well. Uh, she's the the wife, and uh, Tim Roth is another character who pops up with this. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a weird movie that's hard to sell people on. But uh... yeah, it's um this the cast. I'm surprised with stat just seeing all the people in it. Uh, like you know, like you said, Tim Roth, Helen Mirren, Karen Hines in it. Um, it was interesting. Uh, you saw this, it, okay? Good. Yeah, yeah. I got. To, I, I found it. I watched it. Um, it's. It felt like. I mean, to me, it felt like a ter- like they were trying to do Terry Gilliam, and I wish like I like if Terry. I feel like if Terry Gilliam was this, like he would have done it. It's not a bad movie. It's very weird, and I see what they're tra- going for. Um, my biggest complaint. I feel like it got repetitive. Like it was a scene in the restaurant with uh, Gambone just yelling and screaming and you know filibustering. And then it would cut to them, you know, hooking up, and then it would go back. I feel like this movie probably could have been like maybe like thirty minutes shorter. Um, I think that would have helped it. Um, and the, that music, like the singing, that was the other thing that got really repetitive for me. Um, mm-hmm. But again, it was interesting to watch. It held my attention. Um, but like I said, I feel like it, it felt derivative of some other stuff I'd seen before. And the and I know they were kind of going for like the whole like it, like it was a stage play, like even like the curtain falls at the end. Um, so I, I don't know if that really helped or hurt it. Um, but it was interesting. Like I said, it was, it was worth a watch. It was, it was weird. Um, but I like weird sometimes. Uh, has anybody else seen this? Heard of it, but haven't seen it. <laughs> this is like the third time I've done this. <laughs> Jake, you, need to, you, you might need to go down in history as like the worst person to pitch movies on YLS. That's a- holy fuck. That sounds so un. Uh, I like no, you saw Jake Maringa. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would. I would rather watch Rubber than whatever this. I knew the title. I thought I'd like it. Not anymore. I don't want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an. I didn't remember how intense it was until I watched it this time, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, I, I hope I don't offend Kirk here on this one. This is a violent movie. <laughs> Rue, I'm assuming you haven't seen this one. Not at all. Never heard of this in my life. All Imagine right. if Rue had seen it. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One, before he's done, that's going to happen. One of yeah. these times. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's easier to talk about it when you know, everyone knows what I'm talking you know? <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for this episode. I got to give out scores. I'll tell you what, guys. Not bad list this time. Um, you, nobody really upset me that much. Um, but I think the winner by just to hear this week is Scott. Um, Scott, again, had some really solid movies. Uh, <laughs> Nebraska, it follows. Pelham 123, Waterfront, Heat, uh, 
was rushing but we nights really hard to overcome spence you were close you were so close you you, all, you had it honestly you almost it's, it's had it because i had nine movies <laughs> no 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 it was honestly i would say i mean you had your your, your biggest weakness was how to train your dragon too i don't think that that was your lowest low and scott just didn't have anything that, that went that low um the rest of the list was tight so you guys were neck and neck um Brew and jake your lists weren't bad they were just scott and spence just were really strong this week um and compared to, again Going three and four, it's just as hard to figure out as one and two here. Um, but again, by here, I think Rue's number three. Um, he just had some uh, more solid movies on Mission Impossible, uh, Arrival, uh, Rogue One. Uh, and Jake, uh, and also Rue gets three because he had a really good, succinct description of Babe Pig of the City. Uh, he could describe it exactly the way I thought of it. He hit the nail on the head. Um, Jake, your list wasn't awful. Uh, I don't think it's a, a, a your list sucks type of list. Uh, but you did have Babe, you had Eyes Wide Shut, you had Days Confused, um, and that no one else went as low as you did this week. But again, overall, not bad. Uh, we'll be back next week. We're halfway through. We're going to get in the 40s. Um, we're a little long this time. Thanks for sticking around, everybody. We'll see you next week. Intimidate me. I'm entitled to my opinion. Drunk, get angry. Come on, break the lousy cup. Ow! I hurt my arm. And not expect everybody to do everything. I'm going there soon, you know. Is that so? Where are you going? Uruguay. Well, you go Uruguay and I'll go mine.